right, Steve, we made it. This is it. Wow. Yeah. Wow, we did it. Episode 20. Whoa, 20 episodes in one season. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's been it's, it's it's been an honor, Carlo. It's been so oh, fun, man. Likewise, Steve. Uh this has mm. just been quite mm. a journey. We've uh we've uh we've gained some followers along the way. We've had some great yeah. guests. Yeah. And yeah, we got to make it count. So this is the last episode, so we're we're throwing everything out the window. None of your favorite segments are here today, but we're going to be discussing very appropriate for the end of the year anti-Christmas movies. Anti-Christmas movies. What's that, yes. Carlo? All right. Well, before we get into that, I want to know, Steve, um mm. where does Christmas rank for you in terms of holidays? Um probably as a kid it was number 2 behind only Thanksgiving. Wow. Um and now as an adult seeing it through the kids eyes it's still it's it's probably number 1 just cuz of like how fired up the kids get and you know it's the culmination of the year and you get to look back and all that stuff but just me individually as a person it's it's always kind of been number 2 for some reason Thanksgiving that's always been the top dog mm-hmm. i've always appreciated the food and none of the pressure <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah i i hear that a lot too and just like not dressing up uh, you oh, don't have to think oh, about yeah, gifts, you know, those mm. kinds of things, less stress. Um, well, mm. you know, I obviously grew up without Thanksgiving, so Christmas mm. was always number one for me. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, I'm I'm being blasphemous right now because I am, you know, a Halloween baby. So, oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm an October baby, so it's like I should be biased towards Halloween. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, Christmas has always been number one. It's just... Yeah. And to tie it into our pod, it basically is because... I think in terms of tradition, there are just more Christmas movies than any other holiday movie. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a yeah, that's a really good point. Either loosely tied in, or you know, it it can just be a background artifact of the movie or one of the main threads. I think you are right. I don't think there's an I don't think there's that like what would even be the second most um, you know maybe Halloween? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean yeah, the yeah. Halloween franchise <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot of horror movies are set during halloween i mean uh i don't know have you seen the teaser trailer for scream six no i haven't seen the teaser oh, yet oh man well it's just a teaser but i mean the it's not really a, a main giveaway because it's a teaser but it, it looks like it's set during halloween Ooh, so okay. and i mean yeah there have been previous scream movies isn't the first one set around halloween as well oh <sighs> I think uh-huh. they just reference the movie a ton, mm. and they're watching it a ton. I don't, okay. re- I don't know if it's. It does seem like it's the autumn though at yeah. Woodsboro. Woodsboro, yeah, yeah for sure. But, um, so, so yeah, Christmas is just mm. a thing. Like it's been around forever um, in terms of movie traditions, and um, even actually the actress Mara Wilson, if you remember her, she was one of the kids in Mrs. Doubtfire. She played mm. um, Madil- Matilda. Okay. Um, that's the one piece of advice she would give to actors is basically do a Christmas movie because the residuals are crazy, <laughs> you know, because oh they, they always play on TV, you know, um, they always bring them back. So Christmas movies are, are where it's at, man. And I mean, it's not surprising, like even this year, uh, yeah. Will Ferrell and, um, uh, yeah. 
uh, Ryan um, Reynolds, yeah, yeah, Ryan Reynolds did a movie called Spirited, which I didn't even see. But uh, yeah, I, it clearly is that blatant cash in because you know they just totally come up. But it's just amazing how, in terms of tradition of like you know we have our staples like It's a Wonderful Life and A Christmas Story, mm-hmm. um, Elf. Uh, some yes, Elf has now <laughs> become part of that too. Um, yeah, yeah, so these movies. Uh, like especially it's a wonderful life like it didn't it was like a turkey when it came out um like on the box office like hardly anybody saw it but it was just the fact that they kept on playing it on tv every time yeah i mean you know some other ones that we could probably mention are like home alone that's another traditional christmas movie um Um, miracle on 34th street a Christmas Carol, I remember, yes. was really popular. Like the generation mm-hmm. of kids, like just above me. Yeah, I, it kind of missed me. Like, 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 it's kind of not my style, but I, sure. I know it's wildly popular. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, and leaning towards anti-Christmas, that's actually a good segue because mm. the anti-Christmas version of a Christmas Carol is Scrooged with a D at the end. Uh, the Bill Murray movie, have you seen that one? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have. Yeah, yeah, and that's fantastic. It's always enjoyable, and you know, Bill Murray. He, that was really like early '90s, late '80s was like he was at the top of his game. Um, but yeah, th- that's really what I want to talk about is like these movies that basically take Christmas and they kind of turn it on its head. It's not the traditional Christmas movie in the sense of like, um, you know, it, it, there's like a Christmas wish or like, um, uh, you know, something to do with Santa where they, they want to get a gift from Santa. Um, you know, all these things that are basically convincing kids to be good <laughs> movies. And, you know, I, I think the, the, the one that stands on top of all the the other movies has been um, Die Hard. You know, Die Hard is like the gold mm-hmm. standard of anti Christmas movies because you know it's set at on Christmas Eve, um, and it has a, a score by Michael Kamen that that utilizes like jingles, uh, like the the jingle bells. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's fantastic, and the, I think even one of the the terrorist characters wears a Santa hat at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, and <laughs> yeah. then and then the the limo driver Argyle, I think he's he, he's maybe bumping it's Christmas time in Hollis mm-hmm. Queens, and so it's oh, got all yes. these tie-ins. Yeah, and that's a perfect anti-Christmas song. Uh, I mean, that comes from a, an incredible uh, like uh, anti-Christmas. Uh, compilation that was like put together i remember i have it on vinyl it's called a very special christmas and it's all these like 80s 90s like christmas songs and some of them are covers and some of them are i mean that's the best track obviously the run dmc track yeah so argyle bumping that is fantastic at the beginning of the movie um bruce willis has that giant teddy bear that he's supposed to bring as a gift for his kids uh, and, and and it's oddly a com- it's a, such a comforting action movie. Yeah, I don't I don't know what it like how they pulled that off. Just like mm-hmm. that's such a rare thing when you can somehow have all this violence. There's blood. There's killing, but it's somehow it's in it's it's in a humor. It's in a style, and um, if yeah, you feel comforted by watching it. It's very odd. Yeah, exactly. And it it uh, I think also it has a lot to do with. 
with Bruce Willis kind of establishing himself as a, a an action star in this movie because right. previously to this, you know, he was just this charming guy on Moonlighting and um, some other movies where he was just more kind of just a comic uh, guy rather than an action star. But him being that everyman, I mean, you know, it pretty much set the template for so many action movies. like, And uh, that's how people would pitch it. It's like... Die hard on a plane, die hard um, on a bus, you know. It's like that. that's how yeah. people ended up pitching movies. That's why it, it goes beyond being just a yeah. Christmas movie. It is like, yeah, it, it's it, some people might even say it's one of the greatest action movies of all time. Maybe the greatest action movie of all time. Wow. Yeah, or American action movie. That's that. Yeah. yeah, that's a great question. Is that mm-hmm. the greatest action movie of all time? Is it the greatest Christmas movie of all time? I don't yeah. know. And I, I believe a lot of people would, would put it up there. And uh, I'm kind of leaning towards that, despite the movies that we're going to bring up. Um, yeah. Which yeah, I am I, excited. I just want to let the listeners, first of all, thank you. Happy yes. holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. All that great stuff. Season's greetings. I think that's my favorite one. That's my favorite, like, yes, generic one. That's a fantastic know? one. <laughs> season's greetings. Happy you. Um, I'm a fan yeah. of happy you. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, um, but I, I just want to let everyone know. We ha- on the menu today. On the menu for this uh, final season, season one wrap up of, of movie food. There's quite a quite a few delicious main dishes on this menu. I, I have mm-hmm. to say, I'm I'm very excited to talk about. Them. Excellent, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about them too. Uh, we're we're gonna be talking about a trinity, but before we get into these mm. this uh, triumvirate of um, anti Christmas movies. I just want to say, um, yeah. like, I have some honorable mentions, but even way before that, I will say, too, that uh, as much as I love Christmas, I was never really in the mood to watch a Christmassy movie on Christmas Day. Yeah, I've always yep. loved, I mean, the studios themselves do this. They do, they release a movie every year that's, like, kind of counter-programming to all the other Christmas movies. I mean, even oh. this year, we don't really have something that's Christmassy opening on Christmas Day. Yeah, what's coming out? I mean, uh, I guess the big movie is, but Disney has already released it. It's um, Avatar, the way of of water, uh, of the water. And that's not, yeah, that's not really a Christmas movie. It's not even, um, like, wintry. (laughs) It's not even the, yeah, it's a weird type of movie to choose to release around this date. And, um, I mean, the the big counter-programming movie that's coming out, which is already getting a lot of really bad reviews and makes me want to watch it is Babylon. Right. Yeah. Which is almost as long as Avatar. It's only like three hour, uh, three, three minutes shorter than Avatar. Okay, Avatar yeah, is three hours and 12 minutes and, uh, uh-huh. Babylon is three hours and nine minutes. Is Babylon in, <laughs> in, in IMAX? Did they, shoot uh, it in I IMAX? wish, I wish it was no, but it, <laughs> it, it feels grand. Like uh, from, from the trailer and the trailer is awful, by the way, like it, it's one of the worst trailers I've ever seen. Uh, but the fact that's, you know, so many people are hating it that have already seen it makes me want to go watch it. So, yeah. but that's not going to be my Christmas movie, um, this year actually, but I've always, are you going to watch Barbie? Uh, oh like, yeah, it for looks sure. like that's coming out. Oh yeah. well, that's next summer. Oh man. Oh, oh okay, good. Yeah, yeah. There was a time that that was actually going to come out at the same time as um, John Wick Four, 
like the same day, but that's uh, a tough call. Which one? Which one? Oh yeah, no, I just I do know. the double feature. I just watch yeah, yeah. both. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So uh, that with um with the this kind of counter programming, the one I'm gonna watch this year is actually the whale, which has right. already come out in limited uh like cities, but um. Uh, but yeah, it's gonna get a wide release closer wow. to Christmas, so that's my uh, my counter programming. And I mean, Bring I just wanna your tissues. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, that's um, a big one. Yeah, and I just want to mention some past movies that I'd watched on Christmas Day in the theater. Mm. Okay. Um, just because I'm such a f- big fan of this, and also I have to give credit to my mom. Like, hi mom, Merry Christmas. Um, <laughs> hi mom. She, yeah, she kind of put me up to this. Like, uh, it's just something that we would do. And I mean, I remember like one of the more recent ones that we did, maybe like I guess five years ago. Um, uh, like uh, our family was asking us, "Oh, what are you guys gonna watch?" You know, and you know, I we mentioned that we were watching this movie called Son of Saul, which is like this really depressing like Holocaust movie. Um, and then yeah, they they basically said, uh, "You really are." Um, you know your mother's son that's what we chose and the last one we did actually in 2019 together was um uncut gems because that was a christmas movie that came out on on christmas day um and yeah some of the ones i've I've done in the past like vice the the movie about dick cheney i saw that on christmas day uh phantom thread the pta movie which oh yeah yeah which uh, people are now kind of pushing as a christmas movie slash new year's movie you know and i i I, yeah i I, because there is like a new year's eve scene in the movie so um yeah 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 exactly and and it's perfect because there is that kind of lull in between christmas and new year's you know um, so that's the perfect movie to watch, I think, in between those. And then uh, Wolf of Wall Street. That was another one that yeah. I saw mm-hmm. on Christmas Day. Uh, R.I.P. Arclight. I saw that at the Arclight in Pasadena yeah. in 2013. Um, so, yeah, there's just been some really good programming. And, yeah, it, it traditionally also I, I feel like um, Paul Thomas Anderson always releases his movies around Christmas time or Thanksgiving. Because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, Licorice Pizza, I think, came out around Thanksgiving. Yeah, last uh, year, right? Yeah. yeah. Um and yeah, that seems to be his thing and you know Phantom Thread was came out on Christmas. Uh I think oh yeah, I saw There Will Be Blood on Christmas too. I remember oh, that as well. That, yeah. Was that released around that time too? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and it was one of those things where because I mean there was just so much anticipation for it um because he hadn't made a movie in like 4 years. Um and uh yeah, I I didn't know what to make of it, and I, I I didn't see any of the reviews, so I didn't realize that people were just, like, really hyping it up, like, as this masterpiece right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. So, but, yeah, like, that was a that was a definitely... An, I also saw that at Arclight uh, in Hollywood. Oh, and also um, uh, Inherent Vice. I also saw that on Christmas Day okay. at the Cinerama Dome in 70mm. That was incredible. Um, yeah, it looks yeah. like There Will Be Blood came out December 26, 2007 was the release mm-hmm. date, like non-festival release date, it looks like. That's yeah. weird because I remember it was like actual Christmas Day because I saw it with mm-hmm. a bunch of filmmaker friends. Okay. Like, yeah, and it, it was just a weird thing. You know, it was a packed screening because, you know, generally during Christmas, everything is closed except for movie theaters and yep. Asian restaurants. <laughs> Uh, so that's why that's why that's like a special thing that I actually really love about 
Christmas is like is that is that idea of going out for Chinese food in the yeah. evening? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Jewish people love doing that. You know, that's their yeah. thing. Is like uh, on Christmas they eat Chinese food. Hell yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I remember it was Christmas Day because uh, it was also mm-hmm. this was part of what affected my initial viewing of that movie, and I still probably haven't recovered. Is that uh, our tickets ended up being double booked? So there were already people sitting in my chairs because, you know, our arc light, <laughs> you know, it's reserved. It was always reserved seating. Um, yeah. And I was just like, what are people doing here? And yet they, they realized they looked at our tickets and we had the same seat number. And um, so they had to reseat us and they gave us vouchers basically to watch yeah. another movie. Um, yeah. But yeah, I had to see it like way up front. <laughs> that was my first experience of There Will Be Blood on Christmas Day. So yeah, PTA Christmas movies. That that seems to be his thing. Like yeah, he releases his, all his movies during Christmas time. So yeah, and Spielberg also tends to do That's like the smart. Thanksgiving, Christmas yeah. period too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, I've just had this history of of yeah. watching movies that aren't traditionally Christmas movies on Christmas Man, Day. It's making me think somehow we got to make a Christmas movie or like or, or like an anti-Christmas movie and release it around Christmas cuz it's like there, oh, yeah. there's just a lot there's just a lot of good emotion in this period. Mm-hmm. And so it's like if you can drop something in that can get us some residuals, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Mara Wilson's advice. And not only that, I think this is another good segue into what we're going to be talking about because um it I mean, Christmas time in LA is just a weird time. Like, I mean, yeah. my initial experience of Christmas in America was in New York, so it was like that kind of picturesque, like snowing and you know, chilly uh, coats. Yes, but Christmas in LA is weird. Like, there's hot days. <laughs> it doesn't mm-hmm. snow. <laughs> like, yeah, like you don't know it's Christmas other than maybe a couple extra like light strips around palm trees. <laughs> And um, <laughs> or if you go into someone's house, like once you go into someone's house, then it's like, okay, right. this feels like Christmas. But yeah, just but yeah, yeah you're trees, right. It's a um, presents. Yeah, it's it's a different kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, just I was walking down the street the other day in Whittier, and I should have taken a photo because you just couldn't tell what the temperature was <laughs> on that day based on what people were wearing. Like some yeah. people were wearing shorts and t-shirts, and then some people were like in puffer jackets, Bump, like it, bubbled up. Yeah, it just didn't make any sense, you know. And you, so funny. Yeah, and the weather only is usually hovering around sixty degrees, you know. So it's, it's just perfect. It's like perennially fall during winter in LA. Totally. Um, yeah, and the reason why I bring that up is because. Uh, there's one filmmaker in particular who's like obsessed with Christmas. Like any movie he writes or directs is always set around Christmas time in LA. Like it, it's location specific, and that's Shane Black. You know, okay. um, yeah, and yeah, he he just loves that 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 contrast of the weather. And, so interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, like, so I'm a real Shane Black uh, uh, novice. I I don't be knowing much, but just from watching one of the movies that we're gonna watch, I kind of just saw. Oh, Shane Black is from Predator. He's in Predator, yes. right? He plays um uh, Hawkins. It, Hawkins. Yeah, with all the 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 really corny jokes. The <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, I can. I wish I could get a little pussy. Yeah, mine's yeah. big as a house. <laughs> <laughs> So, so he turned into a writer director kind of dude, huh? 
Yeah. Um, and cool. he wrote the first Lethal Weapon movie, which is also set during Christmas time. That was directed oh. by um, Richard Donner. And yeah, there's that memorable scene in in the first Lethal Weapon that's like um, uh, set around the, the Capitol Records building. Because, you mm-hmm. know, when you talk yeah. about like signs of like feeling Christmas around L.A., like that's always what I look at when I'm in Hollywood is the Capitol Records building because they wrap it up in lights. There's a big Christmas tree at the top of it. There's a tree at the top, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, and I mean, it's, it's one of the most iconic buildings in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he, he definitely loves that. I mean, it, I think Lethal Weapon starts with Jingle Bell Rock. Like, that's the, the opening music to the credits. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, so... so- before we get into it, do you have a favorite Christmas song or like a, a, a Christmas playlist that you like to get cracked? Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I got the Spotify. I got to share it with you. Um, let me just actually look at what I have on this list because uh, okay, I, yeah, I always yeah. break it out. Yeah, okay, so yeah, um, Jingle Bell Rock is definitely on there. Um, Bobby Helms. Oh, man, this is actually something I've been spinning a lot on, on vinyl recently um, is uh, Elvis Presley. His Christmas mm-hmm. album is yeah. superb. <laughs> Blue Blue Christmas, right? Yeah, one yeah, of that's his songs. Yeah, yeah, that that's one of my favorite songs by him. Yeah. And then uh, mm-hmm. Rockin', yeah, exactly. Just yeah. the way he hums it is just yeah, it's so incredible. Good. Um, I also have Brenda Lee's "Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree." Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Dean Martin, "Let It Snow." Uh, Ella good, Fitzgerald's uh, "Sleigh Ride." Um, Run Rudolph, run, check. Chuck Berry, Chuck Berry, yeah. Oh, That's yeah. So funny, yeah. Like yeah. Spotify, really. Like I, I just want, I, I just want to give a big thanks to Spotify. I know they're not, you know, or you know, they kind of don't pay the artists that great, and they make a mm. lot of money for certain things, other things. But man, what a technology! Just be yeah. able to kind of put to, put together these great playlists. My Absolutely. favorite playlist. I, so I think I might, I, I might have favorited that same list that you're rocking. Mm-hmm. But the one I've been rocking lately is Christmas Lo-Fi. Oh, it's okay. basically all those. It's all the famous songs you know, but it's all done in kind of like that lo-fi chill vibes, kind of Whoa. like coffee shop style. Sweet. So it's like so you can put it on in the background. It's not gonna. It's not gonna distract you. You can go about your work. You can go about whatever chores you're doing. It's just kind of a nice background, but it's Christmassy. But it's like in in that lo-fi style. Oh, fantastic! I recommend the Christmas lo-fi. Absolutely, I'll check it out. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean there there have been some great like just Christmas uh, like not traditional Christmas comps. I mean, I mentioned a very special mm-hmm. Christmas. Another one that's really like strange but also works somehow is um a Christmas gift for you from um Phil Spector. You know, and he's known for that wall of sound, but it's like the Ronettes, Darlene Love. Like, it's all these kind of soul um, slash R&B artists, you know, um, doing Christmas songs. And it's amazing. Cool. Um, Yeah, so that's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, so yeah, that's where my taste leans towards is like Mm -hmm. non uh, also kind of non-traditional Christmas songs. But, you know, like Andy Williams, it's the most wonderful time of the year. is fantastic. You can't go wrong with that. Or Gene Autry's Here Comes Santa Claus and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I remember my sister was really into She found some, like, reggae Christmas (laughs) playlist where, like, it's like everything is just, like, vibed out, you know? It's like, but but it's still, you know, a lot of reggae, especially, like, that that roots reggae, it's very happy. It's very Mm -hmm. major. 
sounds like a it sounds Christmassy anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Actually, last year I bought a, a Christmas reggae record because um the the guy that I bought it nice. from he actually went to Jamaica and he bought a bunch of uh, reggae Hell records yeah. and that was one of them and it's a fantastic cover too. It's like a guy on the beach, you know. He has the fake Santa Claus beard and the hat, but you know he's in his swim trunks, and he's surrounded by beautiful women in bikinis, and that's, that's the Christmas. That's yeah, Christmas. It's fantastic. Yeah, Christmas in Kingston, dude. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, such a good album. <laughs> but yeah, good. good stuff. So yeah, definitely, and like that whole vibe of L.A. Christmas and the way that Shane Black capitalizes on it. I mean, there's. There's even other movies that kind of start off that way too that I think were inspired by by Shane Black like LA Confidential mm-hmm. starts at Christmas time as well. Yeah. That's um right. even though it's not really considered to be a Christmas movie but yeah the mm-hmm. opening sequence of the movie takes place and you know it becomes like yeah. the whole kind of headline right. um the the Christmas punch up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, at the precinct um yeah. So and then uh, I know everyone kind of comments that Eyes Wide Shut is oh. like classic kind of oh yes Christmas anti Christmas kind of film. You know, it's like you know it's supposed to be New New York, but it's shot in London. But it, right, you know, they do a good enough job of kind of make of creating that illusion. You know, that's. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, Kubrick really takes it to another level with that. I mean, I, I really was surprised with um, uh, when I saw some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, like that even Tom Cruise, like, walking down the street was shot on green screen, and he's just walking on a treadmill, which to me no was just mind-blowing. Yeah, exactly. I just did for not them, know that. That's yeah, crazy. to make it look like New York, they, they basically green-screened him. <laughs> You know, kind of like the back projection that they used to do um, with with people when they're driving in driving scenes in movies. That's what they did with him walking down the streets wow. of New York, uh, which is just so wild. Yeah, because Kubrick, you know, refused to like uh, to travel. You know. or yeah, and yeah, like he only was like I forgot how many mile radius he was willing to go away from his estate that was near London. So that yeah. was it. And then, yeah, if you're really paying attention to that movie or you've seen it more than once, you'll just start seeing all these things that are like, wait a minute. Like, you know, the the convenience store that he goes to, like there's a sign that says off license, which is only something that you would see in, in England, right. you yeah. know, because that means yeah. basically they they can't sell alcohol yeah. if they're off license. <laughs> off license. Um, yeah, but then, yeah, it, it's, it, yeah, that is one of the ones that I, I think, yeah, most people would probably put that tops of their list of like anti-Christmas movies as well. It's such mm-hmm. a downer or maybe, you know, mm-hmm. depending on how you look at the ending, maybe it is going towards something more positive. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, 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 one of the movies that we're going to cover is my favorite anti-Christmas movie. And, but I am curious to get your opinion on it whenever we get there of whether okay. you think it, whether you think it's a Christmas movie or an anti-Christmas movie, mm. it's kind of like it's a, it's it's kind of in in that in between zone. Yeah, but we'll yeah, get there for sure. We'll get there for sure. Um, yeah. So let's talk about Shane Black, mm. and um, and the thing is, when I was looking at him and his filmography, he's only actually directed four movies. Um, and yeah, they all happen to be set during Christmas time. And even more amazing is that one of them happens to be a Marvel movie. Uh, so. He managed to put, um, you know, and it was the third installment in, right. in that franchise. He, I, he did Iron, Iron Man, Man 3, 3. Yeah. which I, I still haven't seen, but I, I think I have to now. Like, it's so easy to complete his filmography. And um, uh, there, 
I I didn't watch his recent Predator movie either. The the Predator, but the I'm Predator. A, I have not. Yeah, seen yeah. So I've only seen two out of out of four. Um, and the the other two are the ones that are outside of franchises, and I think are more in yeah. line with his his personality. And um, before we go into the actual main movie, I just want to briefly mention the movie he made before, which is his directorial debut, um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, which uh, stars Robert Downey Jr. pre-Iron Man. And it's funny how he reunites with him on Iron Man 3. And it's like a, a detective uh, caper um, oh, set in L.A. during Christmas time. And it's, it's it's basically about a writer who who's trying to solve this mystery. And he um, he kind of gets involved with, with a, a detective who's played by Val Kilmer and who's great in it. Um, and Val Kilmer also plays a gay detective, which is fascinating, but it almost feels like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was a dry run for the movie we're going to talk about, which is The Nice Guys, uh, which is like, he kind of revisits a lot of, um, elements that he established in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but I think he, he perfects it in The Nice Guys. I just want to say real quick on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Val Kilmer's character name on IMDb is Gay Perry. Yeah, exactly. So is it's it even... is it possible? Is it possible his first name is Gay in the movie? <laughs> no, no, that, that's just how he's identified. Okay, gotcha. um, okay. Uh, it, it's a very writerly film. Like you know, the uh... I, I think uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character is a writer, um, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of like voiceover, a lot of of things where he'll pause, like he'll freeze frame a scene, and you know, just talk about a character, and you know, even like go back to their past and like it's like what led them. To this point, like Michelle Monaghan's character is fascinating because it she she has that typical story, which also comes up time and again with these LA movies, Christmas or otherwise. Of you know the the girl from you know the Midwest, Nebraska or Ohio or somewhere of that nature or Indiana, mm-hmm. who you know there's usually like corn stalks like that's I see, I see <laughs> Iowa. And then, you know, they take the bus to L.A. with dreams of stardom, you know, that type of thing. Um, so that that's brought up in, in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and in The Nice Guys. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, I mean, it even opens with a scene of a girl who has that kind of story um, uh, with the... Yeah, it... Okay, well, let's... Uh, Let's just say that this movie—it's not for kids. <laughs> it's definitely not something you want to watch with the, the kids nice around. Guys. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the nice guys. Um, so yeah, it opens with with a a, a car crash and a lot of extreme nudity. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, for an opening sequence. Yeah, I mean, I thought the shot of the kid looking at the magazine and then you see the car careening in the background, like that was a pretty cool shot. Um, yeah. I've never, I haven't seen something like that in some time. Yeah, um, and just the way that he layers that because the kid is looking at a porn mag with this uh, model in the magazine and she happens Misty to Mountains. be, yeah, Missy Mountain, she happens to be the one driving the car that careens over the this hill and crashes and yeah. she's completely naked. And I mean, the, part of the beauty of this, cause like, I feel like even just one viewing of kiss, kiss, bang, bang, you kind of get it, you know, there's nothing really to, to parse. Um, like the, the mystery isn't as compelling. I feel as like how things come together with the nice guys. Like it, it I feel like, uh, Shane black deliberately 
makes it more complicated um in in the nice guys and also by the way um robert downey jr is also in this movie um he has like oh. a, a cameo in the movie um does he really yeah he does he's he's one of the dead bodies <laughs> oh that's funny <laughs> yeah um but yeah like uh, i wouldn't be able i mean would you be able to like uh recount what exactly the plot of the nice guys is in like a short summary oh, god Steve? um <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna try, but then I'm gonna explain okay. why why it's difficult. Um, right. Two unhirable detectives team up to search for a a girl who's tied to um, uh, a politician who's trying to uh, something with the catalytic converter. Trying to, I think, stop. Or, or, or is like, yeah, trying to stop the catalytic con- converter from being uh, required for new cars. Um, oh, yeah. Something like that. It's like this movie, I I feel like it's really, it's, it has some really strong elements, but it's very confusing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was asking you because I, I wouldn't have been able to explain it either, you know, and I, I've seen yeah. it several times. Um, I wasn't able to rewatch it uh, mm-hmm. before this episode. I wanted to, but I just didn't have the time. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm definitely gonna watch it again soon. Um, yeah. You know, because it is around this time we're already recording this, and Christmas is only a couple of days away. Um, but yeah, I mean, but the thing is, it doesn't really matter. I feel like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, what like what makes the movie so much fun? Uh, you know, I mean, Gosling and and Crow are great in it. Exactly. Like their performances are fantastic. Yeah. Like actually, it was rare for me to even see Gosling play somebody that you know, because he he tends to play tough guys, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> even if it it is kind of him punching above his weight in a way. But you know, he's most famous for playing you know the driver in Drive, and um, even his um, his Blade Runner character too is kind of like you know given that he is a replicant but still it's like this fearless unblinking kind of guy but see it's funny because like i kind of first knew him as like the the boyfriendy guy you know like the guy in the notebook the notebook and like and like as like the guy that girls like Mm, you know which is he's kind of gonna come back to with barbie because he's playing yeah 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 so yeah, I found yeah. So if we created a segment called like Steve's Basic B uh, movie takes, Goslin is really funny in this movie. Yeah, like he's he's like um, it almost felt like an Abbott and Costello kind of deal <laughs> at times, where he gets to be the goofy guy, and Crow is the straight man. Right. Um, and then Crow is just he's just great at playing the brute. He's just, it's oh, just yeah. like, it, it fits him so well. The voice, the tone, the face, mm-hmm. even at, even overweight, he looks, he's, <laughs> I, you still believe him as the muscle, right? as like the physical guy. And it's just a really interesting pairing. And, um, but, and so the movie really thrives on their charm and their, and how well they're cast and how yep. good their performances are. Cause like, the actual plot, like Joe, you just take the beginning. Yeah, it's really confusing. So, C- Russell Crowe's character Healy gets um, 
meets with Margaret Qualley's character, Amelia, and she like hires him because she because she, she thinks she's being followed by two people, and one of the people is Gosling. Yeah. So she gives Healy Gosling's info, and Gosling's playing a guy named uh, Holland March. But then in the next scene, you see Gosling going around asking about Amelia. So it's like you see that that's true what she's saying, but you don't mm. see who hired Gosselin. And mm-hmm. it's like that that whole you like you really have to figure it out on your own like what happened. And it's just it's just very awkward. It 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 almost feels like scenes were either cut out mm. for time that might have explained that better. Or there was like weird reshoots added in because they wanted mm-hmm. to either get more of something or less of I don't know what. Um, and again, this is me being an amateur film expert, sort of trying to mm-hmm. figure it out. It seems like things were either cut out or there were things reshot and put in that then make the narrative um, really uh, asymmetric, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I would actually offer this take, which is that it kind of is continuing this tradition of these confusing mm-hmm. um, noir movies, you know, that have, like, these plots that are kind of incomprehensible. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, the most famous one is the, uh, the initial one that kind of started it all is The Big Sleep, uh, which mm-hmm. had, like, two cuts. But it's the one... It's the confusing cut that people have have seen the most. Like, the... The one where it kind of makes a little more sense, yeah. The one that kind of makes more a little more sense is like, uh, um, uh, it's like a, a bonus feature on the the Blu-ray or the DVD that you can watch. I think it's like the 1945 cut. I think so. It was like released years later after the initial one came out, um, uh, or a year later because I think the original was 1944. Um, but yeah, it's just that, you know, even like the big Lebowski <laughs> is also yeah. of that same tradition, also an LA noir movie. Um, uh, it, yeah, I mentioned it. Um, Inherent Vice also has like a famously very convoluted plot, which, um, funnily enough, that's PTA's addition to, cause he was adapting Thomas Pynchon's book and Thomas Pynchon's book actually makes complete sense. Like I read it. And I I was able to make sense of it, but the movie totally like takes out a lot of key parts of information. And considering you know uh, Shane Black being a screenwriter um, and has written movies like Lethal Weapon, which makes total sense. Like nobody ever says Lethal Weapon is a confusing movie. Um, mm-hmm. I think he he intentionally made it convoluted. You know that it yeah that that was the whole point that it is confusing. Um and like there and yeah that that's one way of really adding confusion is like you have to keep track of so many bits of information like yeah there's that overarching like political plot of like yeah the the catalytic converter then there's the case of the missing girl and it's like the the funny thing too is like you see the missing girl first before she goes missing um mm-hmm. which is like rare because usually what happens is with detective stories it's like when they get hired you don't see the girl first. It's like, oh yeah, the you know, my niece has gone missing or my daughter's gone missing and then the detective goes out. But you see um um uh Margaret Quayley before she disappears. 
And yeah, and, and and she even interacts with one of the detectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, the Russell Crowe's character has this whole like arrangement with them for some reason. And and yeah, there's this whole plot too with with Gosling and his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, oh man, their initial interaction. I guess this is another thing I want to talk about the movie because yeah, so much of the movie, I think the delightful things are the attention to detail. So. The way the movie treats violence in the, is both comical and realistic. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just incredible how it does it, like how it creates that balance. Because like mm-hmm. uh, when he initially meets Russell Crowe, that's when he uh, when he breaks Gosling's arm, right? Yeah, like, and he, he lets out this like really girly scream. Yeah, really funny. <laughs> and then really yeah. Good. And then the one where he's he's breaking into that place and he's trying to smash the pane in the yeah. door and he's trying to figure out, like, should I wrap my hand? And then, you know, he's like doing the countdown, like one, two, three, and then he's like cuts and he's mm-hmm. on the ambulance because he punched the window and he cut himself and he's bleeding so much that he needs to be taken to the hospital. And it's just like stuff like that is just brilliant to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, a- it's, it's, it- it's it's a lot of really fun sequences. Yeah, essentially the movie and um and like that's enough. Like it's enough for it to be memorable and good. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think it, it really is the those little details, the performances that you mentioned. Yeah, are all great. Um, that's what keeps me coming back to the movie. Cause yeah, I'm. I mean, I'll, I'm definitely one of those people who missed it when it initially came out. Yeah. Um. Uh, like back in 2016, which is you know a weird year. Uh, so I, yeah, I I had never seen it until a couple nights ago, and I yeah I I really enjoyed it. You know, it was like it was it was it was um pleasant just to kind of see the like oh there were movies that I missed when I was deep in in parenting and all these things, and I was I was kind of missing a lot that right. were good that that yeah. would have been worth seeing and that w- would have been exciting. So it's just kind of like it's it's you know it, it's hopeful. It's yeah, good, absolutely, and yeah, it's always great to go back to that. Like I would even say, like the Paddington yeah. movies, I miss those too. Yeah. Um, I think also part of it what had to do was when I was in New York, I would only I wouldn't really go to like see mainstream films because you're just so spoiled with like yeah. retrospective and art films that mm-hmm. yeah, that's really was my main diet when I was out there. So that's why I missed out on a lot of. Of mainstream movies and uh yeah i'm bummed that i missed this one um uh but yeah I, I caught up with it when it was on hbo um and yeah i eventually bought the blu-ray so i now own it on blu-ray so i can put it on whenever oh, i cool. want to um nice. yeah because i i think this one you know when we ask like is this a keeper the nice guys is a keeper for me and you know d- despite the con- confusing plot like there's just all these mm-hmm. i mean just the moments i mentioned are just worth watching like going yeah. back to watching it again you know, yeah, um, I, I definitely want to talk about my favorite moment. The, I, I I laughed really hard when I saw this part. Okay, it's the part where um, they're at the first party, and March is and Holland March is getting drunk, and he's like dancing with a girl, and he like falls over a wall. <laughs> yeah, and you see him fall, and and then you see the girl go to the ledge and look over, and the camera kind of. Sh- looks over the wall and you see him continue to tumble down this like this um canyon or this hill <laughs> and it's just 
this that sequence made me laugh so hard. It was just like <laughs> it's so funny. Um it's just it's just well shot, well done. It's yeah. like I love that physical stuff and I love that they were able to kind of give it a little uh you know, make it a little y- unique in terms of like you follow her perspective and he's still following. <laughs> he's still following. Like like it's been a couple of seconds, but it's still happening. Yeah. And is um, that when he discovers the dead body of the producer? Uh, exactly. Zachary? And that's yeah. my next favorite part that I was just gonna <laughs> ask. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so he stumbles down He's uh he's he's, he's trying to light a cigarette, and th- the the flame from his from um his <laughs> Zippo yeah. lights up the dead body. What's the name yes. of that, that producer again? Sid, Sid Shattuck. Yeah, Sid Shattuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's Robert Downey Jr. That's his cameo. Oh, that's Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> yeah, okay, he's under awesome. a lot of um hair makeup as oh, well. Cool. He's got Sid Shattuck. Cool. Yeah. Oh, um, oh but, man. So. I don't know how how familiar are you with any of like the old Abbott and Costello movies? Oh man, that's a big blind spot for me. I should okay. I, I should watch them, especially because you know they were referenced a lot in um uh in Patterson. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah, because they're they're Patterson, New Jersey um legends. You know, there's a statue. Oh, that's amazing. Of um Costello in Patterson. So Lou Costello. Yeah. Well, the way that Goslin. When he sees the dead body, he has this reaction where he's scared, but he can't get his words together. He's just kind of like making noises <laughs> and like and like and like slapping around and like trying to like point. That's mm. straight Lou Costello oh, when he's wow. scared in any of those like Abbott and Costello in a haunted house kind of. I'll have to like do I'll I'll do a screen grab of Gosling and then I'll do a screen grab of of Costello. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. But it's just yeah. like. But it's just like I saw that, and I just I was so tickled. I was just so happy <laughs> to see someone doing the Lou Costello scared thing, oh, and I man. and Goslin's good. Like I was, yeah. I was really surprised how funny he can be, and I just want to give him more. I want to see him in all those kinds of roles where it's yeah. like, you you know, like he like he's. He's definitely ready. He like like he can do it all. He can be the handsome guy, the action mm-hmm. guy, and the funny guy. It's pretty rare. Yeah, and he can dance too. Yeah, you know? that's right. Uh, La La Land, and th- it it looks like from this teaser trailer of Barbie that there's gonna be some musical dance numbers in it. So oh good. Yeah, um, we'll see. Yeah, if 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 Greta Gerwig like um you know releases the the comedic reins on. <laughs> On on Gosling, mm-hmm. yeah, cool. And just talking about it right now, Steve, it's just it makes me want to go watch it again. Like it's just that's, yeah. that's really is that type of movie for me. Like I can just put it on. It's it's one of those movies. If I see it on TV, like I'll just you know watch it for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, just for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, like yeah. the one thing, like like if I had to rewrite it, I wouldn't have put in as many goons. Like you almost want that main John Boy or whatever his name is, goon, to mm. be the main guy who's just like terrorizing them the whole time he's right. like he kind of comes in at the end but um yeah other than that you know it's like it's pretty oh and then the way they dispatch of margaret quayley is very odd mm. <laughs> I, you know it's um i guess it makes sense because like they really made it it seems like they made an effort to make that character like annoying yeah like, like sure. you kind of don't like amelia even though they're trying to find her yeah um yeah 
It's it's great. I love it, and um, yeah, just a, a great cast overall. Um, great cast. Yeah, I you mentioned John Boy. That's played by um, Matt Bomber, and you know we talked about um, L.A. Confidential that has Russell Crowe in it and Kim Basinger, and they're both in this movie too. That's right. Yeah, so it's kind of like a, a reunion, an L.A. Confidential yeah. uh, reunion with this movie. Yeah. Like um, what, tw- almost twenty years later. Yeah, because uh, yeah, ninety-seven. Um, yeah, nineteen years a, later. Yeah, yeah. It's a little, it's a little early to do the movie, um, um, the wine pairings, but that mm-hmm. that was what I was gonna offer as, as a pairing for this movie was uh, sure. L- yeah, LA we can do that co- right now. Confidential. Yeah, I w- right. I would say too. Um, and you know, kiss kiss bang bang would also be I think a good pairing. Or mm-hmm. um, yeah, I I would even say even though. A lot more people are bristle against it more. It's, it's inherent vice, you know? mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, but it because it, it's definitely not as as probably as funny as the nice guys is. But like, yeah, it also has a confusing plot. It's also set in L.A. in the seventies, um, or is it like end? Maybe it was the end of the sixties, actually. Yeah, yeah. But it it's still got that vibe. Yeah. It's kind of like the hazy. Like, 1970 um, drug fueled LA is, is, yeah. is the tagline. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. Um, all right. So, yeah, let's talk about your um, anti Christmas. Uh, oh, boy. Like nominee, Steve. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Let me, yeah, I'm going to have to set this baby up. So, okay, um, go ahead. So, pull it up only so I get all the right info. Okay, here we go. Mm. So, right. my selection is. A movie that is a it's become a real favorite of mine, and I'm curious to gauge it against you, the great Carlo. Okay. Um, so this is from 2010. It is from Finland. It's it's called Rare Exports: A Christmas Tale. I think is the full title. Um, writers, director is is uh, Jalmari Hellander, and I think it's based on it from from what I can tell. This same crew made a, a a couple of different shorts, okay, uh, called Rare Exports uh, in the previous years, and it was kind of the theme of those shorts was they there were this company that was exporting Santa Clauses to all over the world, so you could order a Santa Claus from Rare Exports and they would come in a box, um, and it was kind of like had like a comical twinge to it, I you know like I don't quite know because I think it was. Reg, you know, sort sort of a regional comedic short, mm. you know, out out there in um in Finland, and so they make this movie, and I remember seeing the trailer for it, and being like really intrigued, and because no one else was talking about it, this was a clean score kind of a vibe for me. It's kind of felt like I was discovering something on my own. Watched it, really enjoyed it when I first saw it. It must have been 2010, 2011 but haven't seen it since and no one has ever like I've never had a conversation about it with anyone else like it doesn't seem like it's on the tip of people's tongues at least people that I know so I'm I'm really excited that you saw it and that we're going to get to talk about it um and the general I guess idea of the movie is that it's like this old it's like this mining town very rural mountain town in Finland and some company has come in and they're drilling, and they're drilling and excavating for something, and nobody kind of—it's a little unclear what they're doing, 
but it gets revealed that they're trying to unearth the real Santa Claus, which has this like urban legend, um, folklore sort of mythos in this area. That's that 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 the real Santa Claus is a little is is a, is a bit scary. The real yeah. S- Santa Claus is 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 gonna is a bit of a monster. It's gonna kind of get after you. It's gonna steal all the children if they're naughty. All this kind of stuff. So it ha- it it kind of rides this tension of both. It feels like horror at times, but really it's more like fantasy thriller, kind of whimsical. Almost at times it feels like a dark family movie. Right. But again, I'm just like always been blown away by it. Um, I, I I rewatched it. I enjoyed it again. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Do you have any history with this movie? Have you seen it before? Like, what's what's your background on this deal? Um, so yeah, I had heard of it before. Um, it's definitely, I guess, it, it fits this other subgenre of anti Christmas movies, which is like Evil Santa. Yeah, <laughs> um, and that that's also a long-standing tradition because you got like Silent Night, Deadly Night. Um, uh, I'm forgetting some of them. Krampus There's like Cri- is kind yeah, of Krampus, like a... um, uh, Christmas, Bloody Christmas. You know, there's just mm-hmm. all these these evil Santa movies that have come out. So I, I was vaguely familiar with it, and a friend of mine, Marcus, had actually like recommended it to me before, but I I just never got around to it for some mm-hmm. reason. Um, it was just I don't know. Maybe I I I. I this is the the craziest thing because these movies are a little more focused on Christmas itself because it has a character mm-hmm. that's Santa in it. Like these ones feel like they have a very short window. So I have the oh, sure. because yeah, for me, I only start watching these movies basically when they are Christmas centric, like they are in this case, like at, after Thanksgiving. So yeah. you know, end of Thanksgiving, leading up to Christmas. So that's basically three weeks to watch these movies and um you know and, and i like to vary it up you know it's uh i'm not always i'm even leading up to this episode i wasn't watching every movie i was watching wasn't christmas or anti-christmas themed even though i did do some research um mm-hmm. so yeah i i'd never seen it and then you brought it up when i was i think this was even like months ago when i was still just like compiling my list mm-hmm and yeah. you you said yeah definitely and it was on my list and then you you mentioned Perfect. it and I was like okay that's a sign I gotta I gotta go watch it and um so yeah I finally got around to seeing it. it it was I think on Hulu actually that's how I saw it um but it was weird because like the the subtitles um well you know the movie begins in English which is really confusing <laughs> so I thought um oh wow this is like uh, a Finnish film that's in the English language. But then, you know, when we are introduced to the main kid and his friend, they start speaking Finnish. So I was, like, confused because I, I, I basically had turned off the subtitles. Um, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, I need to actually Uh-oh. turn it back yeah. on again. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. that was a, a strange experience initially. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I like the atmosphere. I mean, even just the way the shots were composed at the beginning of the film, especially once mm-hmm. you leave that, um, kind of, uh, construction trailer setting that mm-hmm. the opening scene yeah. takes place in and you see the guy who's like, I guess the head of the, um, uh, this expedition or this excavation, um, and he's standing with the backdrop of all those mountains behind him and it's shot like in, in cinemascope, like super widescreen, like two, mm-hmm. 
two is to one like um aspect ratio or two two point three five is to one aspect ratio so it's really wide and you see this mountain range with snow and yeah it's just it, it blew me away like i was like man this is this is better shot than most santa movies are oh, <laughs> you wow. know evil yeah. santa movies are like yeah and and yeah so i i was hooked and then also i couldn't help but notice too because as we're winding down this year this year has been a lot of like films that are way too long and or over two hours i mean i just mentioned avatar and babylon which are two three, three hour plus, yeah. yeah three plus hours movies i mean you know I, well one of our favorites of this year triple r is also a three hour movie yep. so <laughs> yeah exactly but you know uh, some movies can't really justify that length so i was glad when i saw this you know and then you know when you Whenever you pause it, you see how much time is remaining, or yeah. or how long is that? That it's a brisk eighty-two minutes. Eighty, baby. Oh, <laughs> eighty minutes. Way yeah, to go, Finland. Yeah, it's like a quick in, quick out. Like that's it. You know, it's like it it tells what it needs to tell, and then it, it it's done. You know, there's no more. There there is an epilogue in the movie too. By the way, I mean I'm skipping ahead, but right. like yeah. Um, but yeah, even that, like, it's well contained. Like, if the entire narrative was the eighty minutes, then the epilogue is like the last two minutes. You totally. Know? Yeah, and yeah. the epilogue, I guess, ties into like the idea of the the shorts because the epilogue mm. is is like you know where they got all the Santas and they're shipping mm. them out in the boxes, and I think that's like right what the shorts were. Yeah, but but yeah, so um, like my general thoughts in the rewatch was I thought the storytelling was really good. You know, it's kind of like, it's, you know, it's kind of different from Nice Guys in that way where, you know, you're, you're not relying on the performances, although the performances are, are fine. Yeah. It's just like the way they kind of tell the story, it like it all, it's all kind of like classic storytelling. Yeah. Um, It's very simple. It's linear. Yeah. You, you know, you kind of see things before you, they don't explain it like you see them like they're setting up a wolf a trap for wolves, but they right. don't say that. They you see them put it, like digging a pit and putting a pig's head on a hook and leaving it out above the hole, and then later something snares the trap, and and so you kind of get that you know so you see the thing you don't quite know what it is, but then you get the answer like like two scenes later. Like there's hmm. a lot of that. Which um, I really enjoy. Um, similar with the, um, you know, how they reveal information. I thought was is yes, really fun. I was going to bring that up too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that it, it it's really well like, done. Like how, you know, the kids are noticing that the or or the parents are noticing that the radiator was stolen, or or that the, that their wife's hair dryer was stolen, and then you kind of forget about that, and then at you know, at the big reveal at the end, you kind of see, oh, this is where all that heating equipment is. Right. And then, you know, uh, I think in the wolf trap, the main kid, Peter, finds like a sack, um, a sack with like a a um, a, a doll of, of, of like hay that's like roughly the size of a kid. And then you find out later that one of the other dads his potato barn has been ransacked, but only all the sacks have been stolen. Right. So it's like you kind of, you know, just, just the way everything kind of goes, it feels like it's exciting. You're, you're learning, you're getting something out of it. And and, and you feel like you're in good hands, Mm. which I feel like when, when you're watching this kind of a movie, 
finished film, uh, a, you know, a, a weird kind of Christmas film. Like you kind of want to be, you want to trust the filmmaker and like you, you know, and I, and I feel like this film accomplishes that. Yeah. I mean, one other, like piece of dialogue that I really like to just to piggyback of what you were saying is um, the, the one where they say, um, you know, why do you think Santa is able to, to be in so many different places in one night? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's a very mm-hmm. telling line because it, when I, uh, when they say that line, you haven't quite pieced it together yet, but they already have, like the characters already have. And I like that, that you are like trying to catch up to them because they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're figuring it out. And then, yeah, it just, and there's a point where you actually, um, you catch up to them and then mm-hmm. you both are discovering something at the same time, you know? And, um, yeah. yeah, cause I, I, yeah, we're talking about reveals. There's like the, the first reveal then the second reveal, and then the the final reveal. I feel like there, there's like curtains behind curtains in this one, you know. Um, and then yeah, I guess the most shocking reveal to me was that Santa was not who we we thought he was. Yeah, you know? right. And it's, it's not, yeah, not evil yeah, Santa. But um, yeah, do you want to explain it? Right. So they catch a man in the in one of the traps. And they think it's Santa. They think this is this is the real Santa, and yeah. that's all. Like all all those scenes are are really fun because you're always out, you're you're always a little afraid of like okay is this gonna take a horror turn is this Santa yeah. gonna start murdering all these adults? Yeah, and I mean the the actor who's playing that Santa quote unquote, mm-hmm. and you know he he does he doesn't even have the you know the red hat and even any red garb he's completely naked. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, it's just the long white beard. That's enough. He's bald too. But yeah, he's just like completely quiet. He's not saying anything. Yeah. And that what makes it even creepier. It's creepy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, yeah. And so the way that, yeah, the, the overall narrative goes is they, um, try to, um, sell him back to the company cause basically they've lost their, their reindeer, um, meat which yeah. I think is what they use to kind of make money for their town. And so they're trying to sell this Santa back to the American drilling company or whoever it is to, uh, to recoup their losses. And they sort of learn that it, that it's not Santa who they have. They, they just have one of Santa's helpers. Right. Um, and then you, you, you kind of, you know, it kind of zooms out and you see that there's many of these men yeah. um, <laughs> that I guess it's a little unclear where they came from. Like, did they just, did, were they also thawed from the ice or did they come to the mountain because Santa is being uh, thawed? Yeah. 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 And that, I love that, that that detail isn't explained, you know, because yeah, it, yeah. um Again, I go back to that line of dialogue of, you know, how how else is he able to be in, in so many different places in one night? You know, because yeah. that, that kind of implies that they came from all over the world, yeah. you know, to converge yeah. on this spot, you know, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the lures too later in the film are the kids, you know, who, yep. who you know, and it's one of the, the creepiest aspects of the film is that they're all in these sacks 
you know, right. um, yeah, with these radiators, and, yeah, they're, they're trying to melt Santa, who eventually is revealed to be, I mean, it's not even completely revealed, but he's, he's right. in ice, and he has these massive horns. Massive horns. And, yeah. It's almost, it's almost like, like, like a devil type. Mm. You know, all you know, or or, or just you know, it looks like that kind of Im- an image, like that you would see. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's very scary. And again, it's another good choice in the movie. Don't rev- don't they don't actually show you the full evil Santa. Mm. You know, they just give you the idea. They show you the horns. Yeah. Um, and it's so they're able to. You know, it's 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 that kind of Jaws in the first two hours, where or the first hour where you don't see the shark. It's like. You know, the more that's hidden, the more the movie is about the atmosphere and the tension. And will you see it? Will it, like it's right. like it's all really good, and you see enough that you're still satisfied. You know, and seeing the horns. Um, yeah, and the the horns kind of implied to me something like satanic because you know, yeah, the, uh, the goat. <laughs> you yeah. know, so yeah. yeah, that definitely like it. It seemed like it was a giant, like hundred foot tall goat. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, yeah, that's who ram, Santa man. really is, and I mean, that even like puts into question like the the head of this um this excavation, like uh, yeah. what what he's talking about when he mentions um uh the uh like this is a childhood dream of mine, like coming true, um like all of that is like does he know that Santa is this evil? <laughs> Like giant yeah. horn being, <laughs> like you know, totally. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, it's mm. almost like yeah, like like he's part of like a like the, the, the drilling company's guy is part of like some like secret society or right. something. You know, something sinister. Exactly. But um, but again, I think another good choice the movie made. There's not a lot. There's no real murders. There's no like like playing on the fact that you think it might be a horror film, right. But but it keeps it in this family fun zone, this kind of thriller zone, and the all the dads are like capable and smart, and they stick together, and they like, you know, the way the plot goes, it works out. Like and but but they also still can be they they still show up and are tough. You know, like they show up for their kids, they protect their kids, they cut off Santa's horns you know and, yeah. and and um and take them as trophies at the end and they're able to round up all the santa's helpers into that pen and peter is brave enough to kind of lure them in and it all kind of works out um yeah, it did it have of, me kind of wonder like like where are all the moms <laughs> that that that's for part two yeah uh, <laughs> yeah which uh hasn't happened strangely enough i mean it's been what 12 years yeah, since well, this movie came out, yeah, um, but yeah, and I, it was moderately successful, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, the, uh, like I think, uh, you know, it was like on a budget of one point eight euros, and it made like four million, uh, USD. Mm-hmm. So you know that's pretty good. You know, you, yeah. you quadrupled your um your budget almost. Um, so yeah. yeah, but I guess it just wasn't enough. Like, and like, like you were saying, like you said, you don't really have, have people to talk about it with. Um, and you know, we're talking about like this tradition of Christmas movies and, and mm-hmm. them being played. Like this isn't something that even gets that airtime, you know, not even, right. I feel like on, on the more like, um, 
obscure networks like you know Sundance Channel or IFC. It doesn't seem to be like a regular staple on that because I I think that's what would gain traction with right. this film if it gets played enough. Like yeah, it will definitely. I it feels like it would be a cult hit. You know. Yeah, exactly. It feels like it's a better movie than the world is giving it credit. You know, mm-hmm. is kind of the feeling I get, and so I kind of want to. I want to champion it. It's definitely a keeper for me. Yeah. Um. But it's also you know. But I also kind of can understand why people haven't seen it. It might. It might be. It might be a hard. A hard. Um. You know, decision to kind of f- figure out how to watch it and flip it on. Right. Um. But you know, so I think there's an accessibility issue there. I did read on the um, IMDb trivia for Rare Exports. Yeah, that this is one of Kate Cat uh, Blanket's favorite movies. Cat <laughs> yes, Blanket. Oh my yeah. God, who, um, who who everybody is now confusing for Lydia Tarr. They think right. Lydia That's Tarr right. is a real yeah. person. And yeah. <laughs> there's all these memes, these Tarr memes coming up. But oh, okay, oh, that's, that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She well, she has good taste, you know. Yeah. Um I think yeah, so. yeah, if you've seen um her uh her Criterion closet, like her picks from the Criterion collection are great mm-hmm. too. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. Cool. That's good to know that she likes it. Uh yeah. it's her favorite. Um Yeah, I was just going to add like like my mm. last note was that mm. I really like just like the, the the boys performance, you know, like they um you know, they kind of convey you know, like 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 especially the Peter character of like wanting to be adventurous, but also just wanting to have your dad's respect and like trying to earn your dad's respect. And no one was being overly shitty. Like, like it was, it was really about family and community, even though we're all the moms, but, yeah. um, but you know, so it, it, yeah, it was just very like, it's very sweet in the end, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah for sure. And uh, yeah, I, I think uh, there were it, the movie did have its champions when it came out, um, mm-hmm. and one of them, I guess, one of the most notable ones is Roger Ebert. You know, oh, uh, he cool. gave it three out of four, or not actually nice. three and a half out of four. Yeah, so yeah, almost Ebert. perfect. Yeah, and he 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 appropriately compared it to the thing. You know, um, the John oh, Carpenter movie. You know, that's I could, interesting. Yeah. Because, you know, it's these group of men, you know, and uh, they're kind of, uh, yeah, they're survivalists. Like, they know how to, to you know, manage the terrain. And, you know, they, mm-hmm. they're very um, crafty in terms of, you know, how they end up, you know, um, uh, figuring out how, what to do with this issue that they're, they're dealing with, you know. Um, and I think even uh, Kim Newman, who I, I definitely respect as a horror critic, you know, because he he is that guy. He he'll even watch like trashy movies, you know. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, and he he also liked it. He gave it four out of five, and he also kind of compared it to to John Carpenter. So yeah, there's that's, there's yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, like I w- I wouldn't have made that connection, but I totally get it. And that's mm. that's pro- that that's probably a good wine pairing for, for this one. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I mean, the thing is, like, I mean, quintessentially uh, an anti-Christmas movie, too, even though it's not set during Christmas time, but it's so wintry that it's right. like, yeah, it might as well be <laughs> um, anti-Christmas. Oh, um, I guess yeah. this is a, this is a decent segue to, you know, I'm a fan of the music that we've created, you know, for movie food. You know, obviously it's like, you know, 
trying to come up with ideas, especially our intro. It's kind of like hip hop themed. But then I, I was watching the thing, or I was I was caught in in a the thing YouTube deep dive maybe a, a couple of weeks ago, and I really loved that that you know that that thing theme. Yes. And so I had the thought of like, what would it sound like on a beat? And so I want to play it for you. I think I've e- emailed you it, but I'm I'm wondering. So I'll, I'll play it, and I'm wondering, could this work as a possible movie food kind of theme? Okay. Here we go. Yeah. Like, I just love the boom, boom, boom. Yes. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's kind of, it's it, it kind of has that same hip hoppy vibe that oh, we kind of sure. like for movie food. I'm, I'm wondering if that might be the season two intro theme. Yeah. I, I mean, I dig it. Yeah. This is my first time hearing it, by the way. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, I nice. haven't gotten around to it because, uh, yeah, just things have been so crazy leading up to Christmas. <laughs> but, uh, um, I understand. I totally hear you, man. Yeah. I had been meaning to listen to it. And you gave me two versions of it, right? So there's, is there yeah, another version? The other ver- version, maybe the, the snare comes in a little faster. So, something okay. like, like they're very sim- It's a similar idea. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I mean, cool. I definitely dig it. You know, I mean, notoriously, the thing is the only movie that uh, John Carpenter made that he didn't score himself or maybe he <laughs> did, but then it was rescored. It was so weird because I, I don't know the exact history of it. I haven't looked, I've dug deep enough, but um, I just remember that my yeah. VHS of the thing had that kind of warning message or, or like right. disclaimer at the beginning of the movie where it said like, oh, this movie has been rescored um, for for this uh, this version of the okay. film. It's kind of like the, oh, this film has been like re-edited yeah. for this format or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but, which I found really strange. And then, you know, you know who scored it, right? No, I don't. Oh, uh, it's the great Ennio Morricone, you know? <gasps> of, Morricone. Yeah. Of, uh, oh. Fistful of Dollars, um, you know, uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Mo- mainly yeah. his Sergio Leone collaborations, which are all yeah. classics. So he did, so he did like the Ecstasy of Gold, like that, that famous one for, I think that's the one from the good, bad and the ugly where, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, I think Metallica fa- famously, like that's like their intro when they're like walking out. Um, but yeah, yeah. that's a, that's a, he's quite a composer. My gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just so many classics and, you know, obviously, um, Tarantino has stolen a lot of it oh, yeah. and then eventually he got Ennio Morricone to score, uh, the hateful eight. You know, oh, that's and, right. And yeah, that was one of the last scores I think uh, Morricone uh, worked on before he passed away. So <laughs> and it's funny because he he hated that uh, Tarantino ha- was like sampling his scores in his movies. You know, that's because he was he was like stealing stuff from like Battle of Algiers, and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that he had already established. Um, yeah. But then, uh, but then, yeah, eventually, I guess Tarantino got him on his side and was like, yeah, could you score my, my latest film? And that was his first. Actually, that was Tarantino's first movie with a proper score that wasn't just oh. composed of, like, needle drops or stolen scores yeah. from other movies. So Yeah, I think I think you're right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah was, so. was Death Proof? Was, yeah, I don't recall the, the score, but, yeah, I, I'm imagining the Death Proof score was probably a lot Oh yeah, to, it, it's to it's, the it's all stolen. Yeah. yeah, it's all stolen yeah. music. Um, it's yeah. either like you know, um, 
it's it's songs like you know the the opening mm-hmm. music which is great this April March, uh, Chick Habit that's a fantastic song, um and uh, the the bits that do sound like score like especially you know when uh like a uh, stuntman Mike is like creeping up in his car that's all oh, yeah. stolen from uh cruising. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah that's uh, that's where um, gotcha. Yeah, so Tarantino took a lot from cruising, uh, the cruising score. Um, well, he he's yeah. he's the he's the master at stealing in a good way. Like yeah. I, like I like I don't quite know how, how he does it, how he pulls off being able to do that and still having it be likable and make sense and be good. But may, he, he might just be a one off in that sense, you know? Right. And yeah. um and yeah, just going back to Morricone and the the thing score, uh, it was also an anomaly for him in the sense that it's more electronic, you know. Yeah. Like yeah, it's That's a right. lot of um uh synthesizers, whereas you know um normally he he does like orchestral scores, mm-hmm. you know, very sweeping, but also has like weird sounds. Like you know, I mean, a lot of the the whistling themes that you hear in Tarantino movies, mm-hmm. those are are Morricone mm-hmm. scores. Like, you know, mm-hmm. um the score that plays in the animated sequence in Kill Bill, that's from Morricone, you know. Yeah. So, um totally. yeah, yeah. So th- that that's really what he was known for. Oh, and also, oh man, how can I forget his score for The Untouchables mm-hmm. is incredible. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, the um the Brian De Palma movie, mm-hmm. like uh just yeah, it's like this pulsing like punching sound and Tarantino again mm-hmm. steals that in Inglorious Bastards like when you meet Hans Landa in the restaurant you know and like um, I guess it's supposed to simulate how uh, Shoshana feels you know kind of being right. nervous again seeing him yeah and like you know he plays the, the untouchable score and it's that punching sound you know, that is playing oh, good. yeah for good. like just a few seconds when Hans That's Landa awesome. shows up yeah it's incredible but yeah, Morricone, man, he's one of the greats. And yeah, you know, if you're gonna take from from anybody who's great, yeah, take it from yeah. Morricone. So yeah, yeah, like I was thinking, like the thing theme, you know, that dum dum dum, that that kind of drone mm-hmm. note. And I was trying to think, like, what, like, there, there's a couple scores where it's like there's not a lot of notes, mm. but it's 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 how they're used, and it's the atmosphere of the movie, and how the music matches the atmosphere of the movie. That's like really beautiful. Like that one, the, the pianos in eyes wide shut, you know, I think are really uh, good. Yeah. Um, you know, jaws, you know, which was just the, the two notes. It's cool to see Marconi, you know, both have something so simple, like the thing where it's just a drone note that just kind of delays and trails off. Yeah, and then can come up with stuff like the Untouchables and the Good, the Bad, the Ugly, and all this stuff. Amazing. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I dig it. Yeah, I definitely am down to to use that as the theme for for oh, next season. Okay. Yeah, totally. I'm curious. I'm curious. Yeah. yeah. Well, good. All right. Awesome. Well, so 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 it sounds like you liked Rare Exports. Would like um, is it is it like like a keeper or is it like I I liked it, but you know. Yeah, I, I hinted at it at the beginning. So I, I do definitely feel like I enjoyed watching it, but I do feel like Santa movies have a limit. <laughs> That's my, right. my thing. Yeah. It's a, like for me, for a Christmas movie or anti-Christmas movie to be a keeper, it has to be something that I can watch every Christmas. You know, it's like right. something that I can put on. And I, I feel like 
I, I since I've watched it recently, I probably won't watch it again next year. Like I, I yeah. will have to be kind of in a place where oh, I've forgotten a lot of what's happened already. Yeah, it's kind of an every seven years kind of a movie. Yeah, yeah, I would say that because um, you know, just relating to that, I was gonna bring this up in the honorable mentions of anti Christmas movies. Um, I also rewatched um Bad Santa recently. That's uh, the one with um, Billy Bob and uh, who's the main female lead? Uh, Lauren Graham uh, from Graham. Uh, Gilmore right. Girls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah so um, uh, so yeah, the, with the Bad Santa, I hadn't seen it since it came out in 2003. So that's how long. And I yeah. saw it in the theater too, I remember. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed it during that time that I saw it. And I just remember that... Uh, yeah, it was kind of refreshing because up until that point, I I don't think I had seen like a foul mouthed Santa character <laughs> in a movie that was like the entire movie was dedicated to him. Like you would have like a foul mouthed Santa probably show up in um uh you know like a scene or two, but not really like focused on him. And, oh, and I'd be remiss to even mention there's actually a current movie out right now that is kind of well. He's not an evil Santa, but he's like an action star Santa. He would do things that Santa wouldn't normally do, which is uh, Violent Night with uh, David right, Harbour yeah, yeah. playing. Uh, yeah. And I haven't gotten around to seeing it yet. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's just a weird kind of thing where it feels like it's Santa being filtered through the John Wick uh, universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, where he it's like a combination of John Wick and Home Alone in a way. <laughs> And I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. But, yeah, the Santa yeah. thing, like, I, I guess that's really... I get, like, um, satiated by it very quickly. Yeah. Uh, even just the Santa aesthetic, like, the red and white. Like, it's not really something that I'm completely into. And maybe it's also because, uh, you know, spending eight years in New York and being through several Santa cons, like, really ruins it for you. Oh, Oh, SantaCon is like the worst. Like it's basically like yeah, a bunch of people dressed as Santas getting drunk and taking over the city. Like yeah. it's just awful. Like yeah. I, I, I basically just stay in during the yeah. weekend of SantaCon because sense. yeah, yeah that's it's awful. Just, yeah, it's just I, really I will bad. say I I think my favorite bad Santa was Artie Lang and Elf when he played the the mall Santa. Oh yeah. Um, that that's a good bad Santa. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um so yeah, uh, even Bad Santa, that movie, I enjoy it, but yeah, it's not something that yeah. I'll, I'll I'll definitely that I want to see again. You yeah. know. Um oh, actually Elf and Bad Santa came out the same year. Interesting. Um Oh, but, whoa. Yeah, but it's weird, it you know, El- in Elf the guys. Yeah, yeah, Elf was one of those weird things where it didn't come out in Christmas time, like it actually came out like early November. Like, yeah. yeah, that you know, I guess they were trying to get ahead of of everybody else, but you know, everybody associates it with yeah. Christmas. Um, like, I wonder, I w- almost wonder if they weren't sure of it, if mm. they were like, we think this is funny, but we're not sure, so we're gonna release it a little early. But yeah, maybe, cause um, yeah, John Favreau wasn't like a proven. Uh, like uh, hit maker at that point, you know. Uh, he basically, I think his directorial debut was Made, uh, right. which was his follow up to Swingers with with um, 
with Vince Vaughn, and that's the kind of like DVD that you would see like in a discount bin or like you know at a checkout in your local grocery. <laughs> like it's right. just one of those. Even though it's actually, I I remember enjoying that movie, you know. And then he made the. I don't hear anybody talking about Zathura, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like nobody yeah. ever talks about that. So yeah, it wasn't until Iron Man that he basically established himself as you know like. Uh, a proven hit maker, you know. Um, yeah, uh, and 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 Will Ferrell hadn't done Anchorman yet, so he, like he was coming off of old school. So maybe it was a, still a little unclear of like, is is Will Ferrell a a leading guy? Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. And he was, I think, he was still on SNL at that time too. At that point, like he was still kind of balancing been, yeah. Yeah. those two things. So, so yeah, definitely. Like, um, yeah, that. It's it was kind of an unexpected hit. I feel like yeah. when when Elf finally hit, yeah. and it's funny how that you know Elf is something that I can watch every year, you know? yeah, because <laughs> Santa is just like peripheral to <laughs> to yeah. Elf, you know, to Buddy, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, so- it is. It, it and it's. I will say it's fun watching it now with the kids. Because yeah. they'll laugh at other things that I that I you know like they'll laugh at Buddy slipping on something or you know or, or or you know like just some of the other things that are funny in the movie that i forget because i'm focused on some of the some of the more iconic lines or deliveries that are a little more maybe adult so it's like there there, there actually is a ton of funny things in that movie for everyone which is like pretty pretty unique i think yeah absolutely yeah it, it works on so many different levels i mean it's such a quotable movie too like Francisco, that sounds nice. That, that, yeah, that's nice yeah. to say. You know, I love that. Or like the, yeah, the whole coffee shop thing. <laughs> Congratulations, you did it. Yeah, <laughs> the, the best coffee. Oh man, yeah. it's so good. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so timeless. And you know, like Zoe Deschanel, she was like at her peak around that time. You know, just so adorable oh, yeah. and uh, showing her her musical chops as well mm-hmm. um but yeah so th- that's really my only reservation is that i think to me that's more of a personal thing where s- elements of santa just um yeah they have their limit <laughs> sure <laughs> well, yeah so um uh, that that's what restricts uh, rare exports for me from being like a, a keeper i feel cool. yeah sounds good yeah all right, so I, I guess we we've landed on on the third of our uh, oh baby tr- trilogy, and um, yeah, this was one that I had suggested to you a while back as well, and it's something that um, I got to give credit where credit's due. I discovered this movie through um, the Pink Smoke guys; like they have been championing this movie mm-hmm. for far back as I can remember. Like every time they do like an anti-Christmas episode or like they're a guest on a podcast, this is the movie that they bring up, and it it's the Silent Partner. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, directed by Daryl Duke, but only actually half of it was directed by Daryl Duke. Um, it's written by Curtis Hansen, you know, L.A. Confidential mm-hmm. connection again. And what ended up happening was actually Daryl Duke left the movie. <laughs> due to creative differences so Curtis Hansen finished the movie so he ended wow. up doing the rest of the movie uh, and you know since he wrote it I guess he you know he already was familiar with the material enough to to uh, see it to have a sense end. of it yeah 
Yeah, but it doesn't feel like it was directed by two people. Like it feels like I, I mean I before I even found that out as like a bit of research, I I just thought that Daryl Duke had directed it, the entire thing. Right. You know, because they still haven't amended that credit. Like it's just like a, a something that you'll only see if you look it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's it. Again, we bring up Santa, and Santa figures prominently in this, and is also another bad Santa type of movie. But it's because it's it's peripheral enough for me that, yeah, um, I can watch it over and over again. So cool. Yeah, let's talk about it. So this movie, let's talk about it, baby. Yeah, yeah. it's a Canadian film. <laughs> That's the the number one thing. It's a Canadian film. Uh, pretty much like yeah it, it doesn't try to hide it it's not trying to make it seem like it's set in New York City or Chicago like it's in Toronto baby like this mm-hmm. mall is purely Canadian yeah. uh, but ironically enough most of the cast isn't Canadian like the only right. person I recognize as purely Canadian is John Candy obviously mm-hmm. um, Simonson yeah exactly. <laughs> a young John Candy and playing a straight guy too not you know he, he's not yeah. hamming it up they didn't give him any lines. Yeah. I was so bummed. <laughs> and he was kind of a like a a mark too, because the the girl that he's dating in, from work ends up kind of uh, straying from him <laughs> at yeah. the party while he's getting sloshed in his chair. Yeah, we'll get yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I have some I, I have some thoughts on that one. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, this is this is definitely a movie that that. Completely took me aback. Well, let's also point out Elliot Gould playing the main character. You know, the most Jewish guy ever. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So we're watching a Christmas movie set during Christmas time with a bad Santa, with a Jewish guy as the main character, <laughs> as a banker, yeah. as a banker of all things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's just uh, the movie. Something about it. Just as soon as it starts, it just feels different to me. Like it. It doesn't feel like anything else I've seen before. Um, you know, Daryl Duke, uh, just talking about him, he's kind of a, a director that hasn't really done much that are is notable. Like, I think most of his credits are TV credits. Mm-hmm. And the only other movie that I know that he's done is this movie called Payday uh, with Rip Torn. Okay. And that's oh. it. You know, it's like these two movies are his claim to fame. And even that, like, I think it goes beyond them. Like, p- people don't recognize The Silent Partner as a Daryl Duke movie. It's just The Silent Partner is a movie, you know? It, yeah, it's exactly. It's kind of like um, it, it's an anonymous movie in a way. And, you know, even Curtis Hansen um, isn't recognized as, you know, the auteur behind this. Um, right. But, yeah, um, the, I think one of the, the things about it is that it um, it balances tone so well so it's it's funny there's there's a raunchiness to it too and then yeah it, yeah there, there's a lot there's a lot of sex in it mm-hmm. yeah yeah and even just leading up to you know some reveals initially like it's just like it's hinting at it a lot like um mm-hmm. you know just the the one bank uh banker lady who works there she's always wearing like these these shirts with with indie innuendos, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, um, we, we, yeah. There are penalties one... for early withdrawal. <laughs> That's what I remember. Oh yeah, and then um, yeah. there's one bankers do it with Did, interest. Interest, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's another one. Yeah. Oh man, and then yeah, I'll, I'll obviously since it's the '70s, a lot of um, uh, you know, uh, ladies without bras, 
Um, oh yeah, that happens a lot. Um, a lot of dresses with plunging necklines. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that. Ha- um, and yeah, like even a uh, Susanna York, which is interesting, her casting because she's British, and she doesn't mm-hmm. even change her her accent for this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, and she's actually kind of with her weird like mop hairstyle. She's she's not as um as good looking as in other movies where she's in where she has longer hair. You know, it's right. almost like um but she's one of the central like objects of attraction of Elliot Gould's character, you know. Right. So, yeah, so I found that fascinating. So yeah, but but I mean, you know, just the the basic plot of this movie is that Elliot Gould is this kind of schlubby um but also charming cuz Elliot Gould can't can't help but not be charming in any role mm-hmm. that he plays. Yeah. He's a he's a banker um and it's a bank that's located in a mall and um and this is actually one of the main things that to me like makes this movie feel different from other heist movies is that he's kind of alerted to the heist before it even happens. And that's something that's rare, and and that's the, what leads to the silent partner partner of the title. So he's 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 like flirting with Susanna York. He's doing this thing where basically, you know, when when you're writing like deposit slips, it's like a carbon copy. So he would like draw invisibly on the top layer to reveal the bottom layer of of what it says, and then. He accidentally discovers that there's this bottom layer on the the carbon cap copy that says, um, "I have a gun." Like uh, I'm I'm gonna be misquoting this, but it's like, uh, "Give me all the money" or something like that. Yeah. So that kind of alerts him that somebody is planning to rob this place, and it's interesting too because once he he immediately knows who it is, and I guess that's something. That you just get a sense from from working in a bank that you you know who the shifty characters are, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> at a bank and <laughs> and who is it? But Christopher Plummer dressed as Santa, and he immediately recognizes it. But something happens where basically Christopher Plummer as Santa gets harassed by a kid at yeah. the bank, and then he kind of loses his nerve, and that gives you a sense that he might have been trying to do that the day before when he wrote that note. Um, on the carbon copy, and then he just kind of, I guess, got cold feet. Okay, and... yeah, I was wondering. Yeah, that that was something I was curious about. Was, yeah, did he hand that note to someone and they crumpled it up? Mm. And had so how do you how do you rob the place already before? But um, that makes more sense that he crumpled it up. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. How did? Yeah, how would um how would Gold have have even found the note? It's a little. Well, yeah, because uh, that was the thing. He was he was drawing on on the the carbon copy, and then he discovered it underneath it. Like he he, I, okay. I, I think I specifically what he was drawing was like a heart shape right. on it, and then he saw the note underneath once he revealed right. what was underneath the paper. But yeah, I yeah, I don't think um Christopher Plummer's character would have been able to rob the bank previously with that note right. because okay. it it makes the news. That's what happens when he yeah. finally goes through with it. Like it's a newsworthy thing. But because Elliot Gould kind of um uh, and I I'm trying to remember his name is like Miles, um, Miles Cullen. Cullen, yeah, <laughs> yeah, kind of a very like nameless, uh, forgettable guy name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like uh, he, that's why he's able to uh, um 
to anticipate it and what he does which is also another strange thing and I don't know if this is a plot hole or it's just how banks were monitored in the 70s is that there wasn't a camera pointing behind the counter <laughs> to see yeah. him like basically sneaking off all the deposits um into a Superman lunchbox. <laughs> yeah. That he had. It's very dated. Yeah. It's so funny. And I mean, you know, do you remember how they watched the security footage too? Um with a VHS tape and they kind of go and they like rewind no, it's, the tape. It's even more old fashioned than that. It's it's on film. Like they're actually projecting the film oh my God. of the security footage. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. And um yeah, and I don't even know if that's possible because it's like who's reloading the magazine because I mean the max that you could record on film is 10 minutes at a time. Oh, and if if this bank is open for like 8 hours, you know, how many times do you have to reload the film? Many reels. <laughs> yeah. So many reels. Yeah. Exactly. And then um you know, if if this robbery was happening at that moment in time and say like they had to change the reel inconveniently at the time like you know it's like you'd miss that whole thing um yeah but yeah we'll we'll forgive that that aspect of it we you know well, we yeah, don't know like, yeah like i will say there is a lot to forgive in the movie mm. in terms of um just like just some things are just dated yeah you know just like there's that there's yeah the um there's in the movie you can clearly tell in the narrative that the women are attracted to elliot gould and that we're also supposed to believe that the that the the main that the the character that Su- Susanna York plays Julie that she's also like a main object of desire, but like the styles between you know modern eyes and nineteen seventy eight eyes, Julie doesn't uh, she doesn't appear she she appears more motherly than 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 like an object of of or at least that was my perspective mm-hmm. in in watching it was I was a little bit like. Because it seemed like she was 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 she having an affair with the boss? Yes, um, yes, um, yeah. Because the boss was married, and then the, there's this interesting like Christmas party scene where we mentioned with with John Candy yeah. bringing his coworker along, and so the boss basically makes uh, Miles uh, bring her as the um, uh, Miles bring her as the um, uh, chaperone. Uh, so it's not obvious that he's having the affair, um, right. and uh, so they they show up, and then um, uh, I guess they can't like really, um, the boss can't really be seen flirting with her, so mm-hmm. somebody else ends up dancing with her, um, uh, at the party, and then he ends up flirting with his boss's wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I found out, and the the wife is kind of interested in him too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so I guess this is a question for just for, I guess kind of outside of the movie because mm. I don't have a great ghoul gauge, ghoul okay. gauge. Like what is um and so in in 1978, do you kind of know or do you have a sense of like what the Elliot Gould appeal or like where he was stature-wise as as far as like leading men and and just actors at this time oh yeah absolutely uh i mean but i will just say uh, i can relate to you on a level because you know i first met i mean you know i was first introduced to elliot gould as uh, ross and monica's dad Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, on friends 
So it's like I never saw him as that. It was just like this old like Jewish guy, like <laughs> yeah. you know, he's kind of neurotic, and I kind of lumped him in with all those those quirky Jewish Jewish parents that you would see on on TV, like George's parents and on Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. Happy Festivus for the rest of us. By the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh. But yeah, like uh, th- that's what I saw him as. So I didn't realize that he was this like sex symbol. <laughs> in, yeah, that's in wild. Past life. But you, you know who who who's like the best credit for that is is Robert Altman, because Robert Altman was the first guy to really like see him as like a leading man. Which was fascinating because you know they they had several collaborations in the seventies. I mean, the most famous one is obviously um, Mash, the mm-hmm. movie of Mash, where he plays. Um, oh my God, I'm blanking because you know Alan Alda was Hawkeye and it was played by Donald Sutherland in the movie. But wh- who was his friend? Oh, Trapper. God, yeah, Trapper. So yeah, he played Trapper yeah. in the movie. Um, so that was the start of it. But then, you know, they had several more collaborations. I mean, you know, they uh, the, the other two are actually probably tops of my my favorites of Altman's, which are um, California Split and um, uh, The Long Goodbye, which is another famously convoluted detective, L.A. detective movie. Um, mm. Yeah, so uh, that really established him through his Robert Altman collaborations as a star you know he was really yeah and people liked him like you know that that whole uh curls that he's got going on you know the yeah. the smarminess you know um always the coming facial up with hair yeah yeah like or, or or the facial hair that's like just about to burst if he doesn't mm. shave every like half hour yeah the yeah. The, the five o'clock shadow is 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 quintessential yeah. gould i feel and I mean, you know, in 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 Mash, he has a mustache, you know, a very big mustache. Yeah. So, but um, but but it's just, it's just funny because like in this movie, there there's the scene, yeah, where Julie and I think Louise, who's the um the younger blonde new uh uh person that works at the bank that ends up kind of being uh, married to John Candy. Um, yeah. Where there's a scene where where they're like, "Whoa, who's that? Who's Colin?" You know, and it's <laughs> and it's just kind of like I'm not. I kind of have to be convinced by them that he's a sex symbol. I'm not like mm. in, but whereas I think if you know, like our parents' generation would have got it a little more readily. That, yeah. That, oh, oh yeah, that's Elliot Gould. He's a sex symbol. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, you know, I think the movie does play with that because after the the heist happens, um, he kind of becomes this like you know low key celebrity. He's on TV. And then everybody goes to the bank just to, you know, talk to him. That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah. That is a, like, I can both believe that, that everyone is watching just a couple channels. And so you're, you see this guy on a bank heist, local news. I can both understand how that would be a local star. And that's so funny. Like people would line up to see someone who was in a news report. Like that sounds so foreign to, to a 2022 viewer <laughs> but um it's but it, yeah but uh, but you know you, you know you put yourself there and it's like it can kind of make sense you know if right like, if that if, if if that clip of him went viral and he's a good looking guy to 1978 standards and that's like yeah yeah people, and i mean people would yeah just even from an objective standpoint you know he's also a tall guy he's six three so that also helps you know 
yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. And just th- those curls that I mentioned, <laughs> his curly hair, uh, <laughs> those eyebrows, you know, he, he's just got that charm about him, you know. And uh, what you're you're bringing up actually is that idea that people are familiar with who work at the mall. You know, which is I I think a lost thing now. People don't know who works at you know their local like um, you know Nordstrom or whatever. That's not really a thing anymore. Right. But I think it's like they immediately recognize him. Oh yeah, that's the banker from the bank at our local mall in Toronto, which is a real mall by the way. It's still there, like it oh, wow. it still exists. Cool. Yeah, like that's one of my I I want to make that pilgrimage. Like I want to go when mm-hmm. when I get mm-hmm. to go to like the Toronto Film Festival, I have to stop at the. The Silent Partner Mall, you know, that's, that's going to be one of my stops. That's a really yeah. cool mall. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a bank in a mall. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like even that is kind of a lost <laughs> like thing. Like you never see banks at a mall. You know, you'll, you'll get like a like an ATM, but not an actual bank, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I did, that's that's on my list of like places to go when I'm in Toronto. I mean, obviously, I, w- I also want to see uh, where the Maple Maple Leafs play. You know, even if I won't be able to get a ticket because you know it's always sold out. Um, but wow. yeah, that yeah, the Toronto Film Festival. You know, go to see a movie at the the Bell Light Box, and then uh, go to the Silent Partner Mall. Um, but yeah. yeah, he he was like the leading man in so many movies in the seventies. It's crazy. I mean, there's another movie I've been meaning to watch that I have on on Blu-ray called um, Little Murders, which was um, Alan Arkin actually directed it, and Elliot Gold Gould is the lead in that movie as well. And okay. I yeah, I will just say he just basically plays Elliot Gould. Like yeah, <laughs> every yeah. character he plays in every movie is just a variation on Elliot Gould. <laughs> He's he's not wow. like an, an an actor with immense range. I'll say that. Right. You know, uh, he found but, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He understands that he's more of a, a personality than an actor. You know, I mean, he has some good moments in The Long Goodbye, which is probably my favorite movie of his. Um, uh, so yeah, he 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 can he can show a little bit of range, but yeah, primarily it's just like him, kind of mugging. For the camera, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of improv, you know. That's why he worked so well with Altman, because Altman just let him loose, you know. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So going back to the 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 plot of the movie, so uh, we talked about him becoming famous, uh, like a kind of a low level celebrity, um, uh, from being interviewed on the news of being the teller who dealt with the bank robber, um. So that actually is where he tips his hand because he gives them the exact amount that was stolen. Like that's he had right. to mention like what the exact amount is and then you know um Christopher Plummer who's also happens to be watching the news he's like wait a minute like that's not the amount I have on me that I stole from the bank mm-hmm. you know and he kind of makes it his you know his life quest to <laughs> To ruin Elliot Gould's life, to ruin Miles Cullen's life. Yeah, and I I had never seen a, a many young Christopher Plummer exactly. performances. This was really cool to kind of see him young, doing mm-hmm. it, a lot of range, um, both kind of like assaulting women, murdering women, chasing oh, yeah. people, harassing. He's completely Gould. psycho in this movie. Like, just yeah, it's totally awesome. unhinged. I mean, there there's an early scene where I guess he's. 
he's at a bathhouse. And yeah, I think he, you know, he's, he's with an escort and he basically like just totally assaults her. And even the people around him are like, Hey man, you went too far with this. (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, because yeah, she's completely unconscious and bloodied. You know, yes, yeah, it it starts off where he's like flicking her nipples, and then by the end, he's like <laughs> he's like sticking his foot on her head and stuff. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, <laughs> and then I mean, you know, it leads to like um, you know, I guess the scene that people remember from this movie when they see it, which is um the the decapitation, the <laughs> um like the yeah him chopping off the head of of one of Miles's uh um. Uh, lovers was <laughs> just man so brutal. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, and... that that's quite a death. Um, yeah, uh, but so I just want to, I kind of want to back up just a sec. The yeah. um, there, there's a couple of <laughs> you know, it's like the movie. I was having like I was definitely enjoying it. Like I definitely liked mm. this movie, but I was having a tough time with some of the editing. You know, some of the editing and like the quick cutting mm. is a little dated. It feels a little like they. It feels like sometimes they jammed a scene in for plot purposes, or you know something. Yeah. That that that, that maybe could have been a little smoother if if if, if it hadn't if, if it had been in, in in some different hands. But um, yeah. you know, there's a sequence where I think Gould is following Christopher Plummer on the subway. And he's like holding like a chess book in front of his, you know, his his <laughs> face, and it's it's like an inch from his face. It's like right. so close where it's like it's like obviously he's not reading it; he's just hiding yeah. it. And like I can't tell if if like things like that are being played for humor, oh, yeah. or if that's being played for suspense. Like I, it's hard to tell like what was the nineteen seventy eight um, mm. sense of humor or perspective. Like, oh yeah, I I I felt it was being played for humor. I mean, that, okay, I. I think that was why they cast Elliot Gould as the lead in the film oh, okay. because it, they wanted to counterbalance the brutality of of the plumber character against him, you know, as this kind of every man, but also, um, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, charming and smarmy, as I've mentioned before. Um, yeah, so I definitely feel like that 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 was part of it, um, and. Uh, and with the relation to the editing, though, I mean, it's a fair point to bring up, and I think it makes more sense to me now, knowing that Daryl Duke left the movie and and mm-hmm. Curtis Hansen took over. So that would probably be like the sign of of how things changed, um, in terms of I guess the, the footage that um, Daryl Duke had already shot, and then you know, um, Curtis Hansen trying to edit it to match what he ended up shooting to finish the film mm-hmm. um yeah. and yeah going back to the, the, the decapitated head in the fish tank like that was um curtis hansen's uh like he he directed that sequence okay that nice. was yeah so nice. 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 um but yeah i mean it, i think it also relates to how movies were were edited in the 70s you know because they definitely have different rhythms from mm-hmm. from what we know even from the 80s like you know it, i guess you know because 80s is the mtv generation so yeah i think a lot of editing and cuts like were more leaning towards montagey like you know music video style um you'd always have like you know the the musical sequence where you get the whole song playing over you know whatever it may be like a you know 
uh, the the volleyball scene in in Top Gun, yeah, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, uh, but oh, yeah. but yeah, I I do feel like uh, you know editing is this supposed it's supposed to be an invisible art, right? Like you're not supposed to notice it. Like editors are are largely like uncredited for for the work that they do because it's supposed to be seamless the way that they do it. Yeah. Um, but there was definitely like uh, one particular editor. She didn't edit this movie, but I think she was particularly influential by those who know, um, and that's Dee Dee Allen. And she had this style of basically overlapping sounds with edits, um, and she did it seamlessly. Like you know, um, yeah. once you kind of know what a Dee Dee Allen movie is, like that she's edited. Um, it, it makes total sense. Like, you know, she, she, and yeah, she was definitely an editor, I think, that didn't get enough credit. Uh, I mean, the movie that I really, like, kind of started to take notice of of her style was um, Slapshot, which is also, I guess it was a year before this movie um, with Paul Newman, and it's a hockey movie. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. you know, she also edited um, Dog Day Afternoon. Um, I mean, but her, her most, like, you know, notorious, like, non-linear kind of weird cutting movies are Bonnie and Clyde which you know has those famous jump cuts and um, Slaughterhouse 5 which you know needs to be non-linear because that's how Vonnegut's novel was written because it's about you know a character who's jumping uh, from one time frame to another you know but yeah she was fantastic like Dee Dee Allen really was one of the great editors and I feel like that she yeah she her influence really loomed large on a lot of of seventies movies, particularly American films. Um, cool. Yeah, so I I think that that's part of it. I mean I I don't think it bothered me as much the the way that it was edited, mm-hmm. but also yeah I again I just go back to this thing that this movie doesn't feel like it's made by an auteur. Like it's not right, exactly <laughs> yeah it's not like you you're watching a movie that's made by Altman or Spielberg or Scorsese. You know like films filmmakers with real distinctive styles in the 70s that you know you you knew who they were um yeah daryl duke was kind of a journeyman director and even with curtis hansen also kind of had a a journeyman approach you know i i I don't think even people took him seriously until he made la confidential Mm -hmm. like he was just known for making you know the hand that rocks the cradle and the river wild yeah (laughs) just like yeah those are curtis hansen movies but you know he kind of had this late resurgence because you know he had you know everybody recognizes um, uh, L.A. Confidential, uh, especially at that time. I remember it was like everybody's saying like it's a modern classic, um, uh, and then you know a, a movie I've actually been meaning to watch of his that uh, I haven't gotten around to yet is Wonder Boys, which I think was the movie he made after. LA Confidential but you know if you include this in his filmography you know and you have to because he was he ended up <laughs> finishing the movie um, yeah the it, it, that's really it he was a journeyman director who, who was I guess a good craftsman let's just say that like you know even yeah. if he didn't have a signature style like he would he, he knows how to do thrillers you know that's really mm-hmm. it like tension he handles very well yeah. you know um yeah so um, uh yeah well so i have a i have a, a like have a big question all right um why why did gould rob the bank <laughs> uh, okay that's a good question 
Um, yeah, and I think it's open to interpretation. But if I was interpreting it, this is this is what I get. Okay. So okay, okay. Um, and I guess this is also I'm drawing from my own experience of handling money myself at a job. So uh, I never worked at a bank, but uh, I, there was a point where I I was like a cashier, so I handled a lot of cash. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I I worked at a place which I I won't reveal here, but people can probably put it together, uh, where people would basically come from all over the world to buy stuff, and so they wouldn't be paying with cards; they'd be paying with straight up cash, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I also learned that you know if if I was inclined. If I was, uh, you know, like a psychopath enough, I would know how to rob them because I know yeah. where they keep their cash, you know, because it's not like this thing where, you know, they're, they're carrying a vast amount of cash and they don't have it like in their wallets, like their wallets would be exploding with this cash. But then, mm-hmm. you know, um, but long story short, yeah, I, I know what it's like to be around that much money. And um, the thing is, I think that question always comes up. Of like you know you're make oh, you're yeah. you're taking in this much money at a job, and you're making this much money because uh, the other thing about that job too is that they would show us like how much quarterly profits we contributed to, like how many sales we did, you know, and okay. like you know it it's it and we didn't get commission off these sales, but it's just to think that say like I you know I think there was one quarter where I I sold like. 300,000 uh wow. yeah <laughs> like um yeah uh worth of merchandise and i was just thinking like you know even if i just got 1% commission off of this like you know yeah yeah i'd be doing pretty well you yeah. know um yeah i think there was even one one quarter where i made a million you know <laughs> for this company wow. you know i sold a million worth of, of merchandise like you know, just one percent of a million. Come on, <laughs> yeah. I'd be living pretty well. So um, so yeah, it's just being around that, and you know, uh, the psychological aspect of money is also something that I'm fascinated by. But we won't mm-hmm. delve into it too deeply. But it's just yeah, yeah like how people that it can affect your mood. You know, your psychology. Like a lot of people's um, issues are related to money. I mean, you know, like that's even connected to this time of year. You know, there's oh, so yeah. many people who are depressed because, you know, they can't buy gifts or they can't buy something nice for themselves at this time of year, even though it's like encouraged, you know, that consumerism of like, let's buy, buy, go, buy. Go, go, go. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So um, I think that 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 definitely figures into the Elliot Gould character, Miles Cullen. Like you work okay. at the bank okay. and, and, and I've, I know somebody who's also worked at a bank before and and they also have this kind of objective stance but you know it's like that question of like yeah well if you had that chance you know if nobody was looking yeah and you had a chance to just like tuck one of those stacks in your pocket would you do it right yeah you know it's it's kind of so yeah so it's kind of like you know what i'm gonna take advantage of this bank robber yeah situation to just give me a little, just a little taste, just to wet my beak a little bit. Okay. Yeah, uh, and I mean, he he more than wet his beak though. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. He, he took most of it. You yeah. Know? Well, uh, I mean, I guess that that that's another funny part of the movie is I think he he stole somewhere close to fifty thousand dollars or you know yeah. so, somewhere in that range. Let's just say, and the scuttlebutt in the movie is like fifty thousand dollars. Wow. What. 
what would you do with that amount? And and like yeah. and like, <laughs> you feel like the characters are thinking about like living out some lavish fantasy with fifty thousand dollars, right? Well, I, again, that that's something that I just want to bring up too. Like they always say that now, like whenever uh, old amounts are brought up, that it's like mm-hmm. it would yeah. be this amount in twenty twenty two dollars. You yeah. know, so they, there's like the adjustment for inflation and all that. Uh, so I think fifty grand was a lot back then, because um, for sure, you know, for sure it was. Yeah, yeah. I was, it's just it's just one of those things, you know. <laughs> and you know, there, there's that really funny line that uh, Elliot Gould like delivers when he's asked, you know, so what would you have done with that money? And he's like, I would put it in the bank, which is actually what he did, you know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, mean, I, I thought it was really clever too how he hid the money, which was that um, he was just basically because he knows his um his clients like um habits and routines that he knew that there was that lady who always makes who always tries to access her safety deposit box so he's like okay so when she comes in to do that i'm going to put my, the money that i stole into a safety de- another safety deposit box and then that makes you wonder too is there isn't there a camera there too yeah <laughs> but yeah, and then uh, the way he kind of hides the cash too is like he wraps it in like these picnic like checkered Napkins. handkerchiefs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just funny. And then the way he hides the keys, like he puts one in his book, uh, in a book, and then the other one in in black currant jelly, which is jelly, like so yeah. Canadian. <laughs> like, I, you know, totally. It's even like the label is both in English and in Quebecois French. So funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I definitely like that reveal when, you know, like halfway through the movie, he's like pulling up to his apartment and you see the trash truck leaving mm. and you're kind of like, oh, why are they making a big deal of this trash truck being in the way? And <laughs> then you see he gets up to the apartment and the house is his cleaners there. She cleaned out the fridge with the jelly that had the key and and, mm. and it's it's out um, in the trash. And so that whole s- sequence was, was kind of like, just, just like a, just a nice tight little se- right. sequence in the in the middle of in the middle of the movie. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, Christopher Plummer like destroys his apartment, which <laughs> just yeah completely ruins it. Oh um, my god, that, that that's always fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, so okay, um, so let let's talk about the the uh, the coffee party, so or mm-hmm. or, or the uh, the Christmas party scene. So yeah. we got John Candy. He's getting drunk. His fiance or the girl he's dating ends up flirting with another banker. Yeah, there's there's an aside that basically Elliot Gould says as he's taking Suzanne to New York in because they are kind of arrive at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, and he he sees them together and he's like, "Oh my, are they a thing now?" Like <laughs> he says that yeah. line. Yeah, so that's a that's kind of implies that like okay, that they're more than just like flirting at right. work. Um, right. Yeah. And so she ends up kind of sleeping with this other guy mm. um, whose name is escaping me. I want to say Fogelman, but I think it's yeah, a yeah. guy. No, no. Th- th- I think that was the guy. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, Fogelman. So she yeah. ends up sleeping w- with him. And that that's kind of a funny scene where Gold is walking in to get, like <laughs> I think, some pot or something from, her, from yeah. Susanna's purse, but it's in the mm. bathroom. Mm-hmm. He walks in, sees them, but then has to walk in get it because he's like well i don't want to send someone else you know so no, he says i'm 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 just gonna grab the pot because if i don't somebody else is gonna come up. and the yeah, way he exactly. delivers it is just like that's pure gold right there 
Yeah, you know, that <laughs> that was really gold. Yeah, yeah. that that's r- r- really good. Mm. Um, and but then ultimately, you know, she uh she ends up marrying John Candy. I think there's a scene where they're at their wedding, mm-hmm. and so like ultimately, like there's like two affair narratives where you know, like Susan, you know, Julie is having an, an affair with the boss, and L- Louise is having an affair with this other guy. That like it's just kind of like an ancillary kind of like tidbit. It doesn't really factor mm. in much to the plot, right? Um, so it's just kind of like, is it just there to kind of thicken the web that these people are all in? I guess uh, you know just 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 to make it a little more interesting, or or is it is it just there just to kind of create more sex in the plot? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I I feel like that's that factors in, but also um. Yeah, the, the movie is based on a novel, um, and th- that's another big contrast of, like, you know, 70s um, uh, book adaptations compared to, like, 80s and 90s book adaptations, mm. which I feel like they started to be more streamlined and more kind of, um, uh, mm. like, less digressions and details like this. And, yeah, that 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 is, I think, to me, especially American movies, I mean, this is a Canadian film, but... It feels like a 1970s American film as well. Yeah, and I, I I'm not sure is Daryl Duke Canadian. Uh, <laughs> I gotta make sure. Ah, uh, yeah, he yeah. is, uh, or he was. Um, he already okay. passed away. And Curtis Hansen is American. So, um, so yeah, it it still has that kind of influence because what I would summarize most American 70s films to be are they're kind of like rambles. You know they'll they'll tend to like delve more into to these little like things that probably wouldn't matter to the plot that much, but you know it it adds to like the flavor of the mm-hmm. film. You know, um, so I, I think that was really more that aspect of it of featuring that because also the movie, you, you, it's not a condensed time frame. Like no, it, yeah, it takes place over a few months. Like uh, Miles's father passes away. And yeah, mm-hmm. we didn't. We kind of skipped ahead with the decapitation scene, but that's like uh, a, the lady he meets at the funeral, who happens to be the nurse of um, his father. Yeah, his dad. Yeah, 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 she was the caretaker. So, um, so yeah, and he gets involved with her, and that becomes like a whole like love story, and Subplot, then yeah, and, and and then it's revealed that she is like a girlfriend or knows Christopher Plummer's character. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a setup. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I feel like it's very 1970s where it's like all the females in the movie, you see their boobs. Like, <laughs> yes, it's very, it's, it's like, like it was almost like, Oh, is this, am I going to see her boobs? It's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of, it's just, it's just kind of the way these movies kind of, feel like they were gonna go in a way yeah, it's, it's, yeah and, it's, it's and maybe odd. relating to like you know the women's um uh, you know uh lib liberation and kind of the bra burning thing like a lot of these ladies are not wearing bras like so, oh sure yeah so yeah i mean i think i mentioned this early on but like yeah the, like so you already get that hint early on before you start seeing boobs in the movie and then right. eventually you do <laughs> yeah um but yeah, it, I mean, it, it was just I don't know what rating this movie got when it, it and it's probably a hard R uh, when it came out originally. 
Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely not for kids. Another <laughs> anti-Christmas movie that's um, totally adults only. Um, yeah, I know. I just wish. I just wish. Um, John Candy had could have been involved a, a little bit more. Um, sure, but um, but you know, like like once you get into the heist plot and the tension between plumber stalking Gould and Gould trying to outsmart him, and uh, you know, eventually, I think, tri- yeah, tricking the cops to like raid Gould's apartment and then Gould goes to jail for a couple of months. And then, mm. um, yeah, it's all, it's, it's all done really well. Like once, like once you get into all that, um, and, uh, and ultimately I think it does end quite interesting with Christopher Plummer's death. I thought was pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the mall shootout, obviously the mall <laughs> yes. shootout has like, has like a different connotation now. Mm-hmm. through modern eyes but um um i thought it was good you know it, like a little bit of cross dressing in there and um you know i think when christopher Plummer gets shot he like just has a really dramatic death where he like leaves the bank and goes mm-hmm. up the escalator and you know comes back down yeah it's fun yeah and then the, there's a whole like confusion when he's he's trying to tell the guard like um uh that uh, Miles gave him the bank's money, and <laughs> and then the guard like right. kind of says like, uh, "Whose money did you expect?" Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Oh man, yeah, that the yeah that that whole sequence was incredible, you know. And the yeah, the, it's a very fitting end. Like you're satisfied because you know, Plumber is this monster <laughs> in this film, and almost like this unstoppable force. And then you know when the fi- he finally gets his comeuppance with the guard, and the movie kind of ends on an ambiguous note, right? It's like um, I think Gould is in the um, he's in the the ho- uh, the ambulance, ambulance with, uh, yeah. with Julie, and um, he tells he confesses to Julie what he did, and she's like, "Yeah, I know you, <laughs> you did it," you know, because she already had her her suspicions, right? You know? Um and yeah, uh, like and then, then do, what do they do? They they decide to like quit or like just um, th- they're I gonna. I think the credits just roll and they mm-hmm. leave it ambiguous. But I mm-hmm. think yeah, you're 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 meant to think that they're gonna quit and go mm-hmm. take the fifty k and go on their dream um, yeah. life so journey. It's a happy ending. And so it's like, but it's all it's only a happy ending that can happen in in a time. Where without credit tracing, without cameras, <laughs> like it's just like exactly, like we can't do, like we can't do this anymore. No. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, there there would not be a 2022 remake of of the Silent Partner. It just exactly. would not be possible. Yeah, if oh, you man. did, what what would it even be? My God, like I mean, I guess SBF, but somehow SBF like gets away with it or something. Mm-hmm. You know that Sam Bankman Freed guy. Oh um, yeah, yeah. It would have it to be a like, crypto kind of deal. <laughs> but that know. would be so boring to watch someone on a computer right. steal money. Or what, yeah, yeah didn't, it's like didn't they do a movie of like the Silk Road guy and like they tried oh, to make dude. it like into a thriller, but yeah, it didn't it didn't right. work. Yeah, so 
I know. Um, yeah, it, it's it, it is kind of funny that he he steals the money with like a lunchbox. Yeah, um, Superman lunchbox too. Like, yeah, <laughs> I just can't forget that it was a Superman yeah. lunchbox. Um, oh man! But yeah, that's Silent Partner. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a keeper? Yeah, let me ask you, Steve, since you're the first one to experience it. It's your first time experiencing it. That it, it's a no for me, dog. Okay, gotcha. It's um, it's um, it's it's totally f- like like it's memorable. Mm-hmm. If I'm happy that I, that I've that this is really my first Gould. Like, like oh, I'm aware man. of. I'm aware of leading man gold and I know mm-hmm. he, he he's made some bangers in the late sixties and the seventies. I just, I'm not hip to them. So I'm happy to kind of get this one under my belt mm-hmm. to get a sense of it. It's uh, I was ultimately wanting something tighter. Gotcha. And um, yeah. So yeah, it's, okay. it's not a keeper, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly enjoyable though. All right. Well, um, uh, before I, I give my take, uh, which you can probably oh, yeah. predict, uh, is is oh, that yeah. um, uh, I wanted to ask you: are, Did your parents uh, were they like big on Mash? Did they watch Mash a lot? The TV show, yeah, yes. they really were mm-hmm. geeked up on that on Mash. I was um, I always found it very sleepy. I was aware that people like it. I like. Right. I know people love that show in the mm-hmm. movie. Um, and so I've always like. I'm trying to find an end to it because, like, gotcha. I, I think I, I think at some point I would be like maybe once I'm an empty once once the kids are are, are gone and I'm like I have all this free time maybe then I'll rip yeah, through some, some mash and try to get a sense of like what's the appeal. Gotcha. Um, but but I am a little worried that it's that it's it's past me in terms of like the sense of humor and the pacing mm. or you know like try like you know you know like trying to believe that these actors are as good looking as everyone is treating them, you know, or whatever. Right. So I don't know. Like, are you a mash fan? Um, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. But it's not, it's not like, uh, I've really given it a fair shake. Uh, I will say though, that, um, I enjoyed the movie mash. Um, uh, okay. Uh, directed by Altman, but that was also, I haven't seen it in ages. Like yeah. I, I just remember like, uh, you know, this was when I was like, I guess, fourteen when I saw it, and I haven't seen it since. And it was exciting for me at that time because, like, um, this is this is an R-rated movie, and <laughs> it was like, um, it, it felt like something that I shouldn't have been watching. And like, maybe some of the humor was above me, but you know, I could appreciate the craft, um, because I've always liked Robert Altman's style because it's it it is kind of like free and easy, um. It, kind of a ramble and just like you know characters tend to overlap mm-hmm. in terms of dialogue um and it's it's perfect for Gould because you know Gould is just like basically I think he's mumbling most of his dialogue throughout the movie <laughs> uh, as far as I can remember um but yeah I also remember just like the surgery sequences were just really bloody like <laughs> oh wow and and why and also you know because you see this in i don't think they would have gotten away with it in the tv show but you see in the movie why she's named hot lips hulahan <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> yeah gotcha <laughs> yeah so uh there's a uh, a very revealing scene in the movie uh <laughs> and that's how she gains the nickname 
Um, but yeah, I, I remember enjoying the movie and I, I do want to revisit it because I do like the actors and, you know, Donald Sutherland is another guy that I think, uh, you know, has had such a fascinating filmography and I'm amazed he's, he's still at it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. uh, like I think he's, he's had more of an enduring career than his son has, you know, <laughs> like Keeper Sutherland has kind of been limited to mo- uh, to TV these days. But uh, I even like saw Donald Sutherland recently in a Jason Statham movie, um, The Mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, he's in that, you know, and he's great. Um, uh, so yeah, so uh, Silent Partner for me is a keeper. You know, this is All something right. that's a traditional. Yeah, it's become a tradition for me, and I, I'm not alone in this. So it, it it has gained traction over the years, and I think the Pink Smoke guys definitely played a part in it. But now, so this is a tradition that, um, and I, I want to do it one of these these Christmases. I just like, I guess I have to find the right one. But every Christmas Eve uh, at the New Beverly, Quentin Tarantino's movie theater, um, they show Die Hard in a double bill with The Silent Partner. Wow. That's, yeah, that's the movie that they pair okay, with. Okay, so, yeah. so, so this is like really well-revered Chris... Christmas slash anti Christmas yes. movie. Okay. Yeah, it, okay. It's on that level. It's paired with wow. Die Hard. You know, we're talking about okay. wine pairings. Like it's 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 gone to that point. And you know, the the funny thing about the new Bev and their yeah, programming is that uh if you've if you've been to any of these double features, almost all of the new Bev screenings are are double features. I think the only ones that they don't do double features are um Tarantino's own films. You know, so it's like one ticket for for, but they're long enough anyway, so it's like you're you're almost yeah. like watching two movies. Um, totally. But uh, when when uh, every movie at the New Bev is is a double feature, and I I don't know if they've changed their their pricing since I last went there, but um, when I when they first started when Tarantino took over, it was eight bucks. It was like the best deal in town, and their wow. popcorn is like three dollars. A soda yeah. is like two dollars. Like you know, you can have popcorn nice. and soda for five bucks. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. You know, it's like it's such a great experience. And I mean, you know, it's it's an old time movie theater. They renovated it, but they didn't do much. Like it's still kind of like a just that um, a subtle incline instead of stadium seating, which you know sucks if like a really tall person sits in front of you, and <laughs> <laughs> all the all the the screenings sell out. So it's like, you're basically sitting arm in arm, like sharing an armrest with somebody. And these, these mm. seats don't give way much way. Like they're, they're pretty, um, yeah, they're pretty narrow. So, um, so you're going to be very cozy in this movie theater. Um, but yeah, the, like that's the thing Like it's always a double feature. So when it was eight bucks, you know, that's $4 per movie. And then I think they raised it to ten, and I hope they haven't raised it since then. Like the last time I went, it was ten bucks. Um, but okay. yeah, it's uh, that's the whole thing. Like most people go for the first movie and then they leave. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nobody stays yeah. for the second feature, you know, because some of the times, like the second feature is like a B movie or it's a lesser known movie. Um, and, uh, sometimes they reverse it. Like they make the lesser known movie, the first feature. And then, you know, the second feature is, is the more well-known movie, but it's rare. Or like they'll have two A movies together, which is like an amazing thing when that happens. Um, I'm trying to think of like a a lineup like that, that they did. Um, I think with the Michael Mann movies, that's what happened. You know, (laughs) 
Um, yeah. So you could see like Manhunter and like Collateral together. <laughs> Damn. You know, like, what, yeah, what a what a double feature. Um, but yeah, so with uh, with with Die Hard and the Silent Partner, people would stay to see the Silent Partner, you know, because it was just that good. You know, cool. and and it's also like a, a nice like I guess um pace change, you know, because Die Hard is like this bombastic loud movie with all this action and then, you know, even though um Silent Partner is pretty tense, you kind of can relax a little more <laughs> and yeah, settle in. There's there's a lot of romantic scenes mm-hmm. in Silent Partner. Yeah. Um which you know, which yeah, can help kind of pace it. I suppose, yeah. Right. So, um, yeah. So, I I don't think they've changed it. Like, I let I can even just look up right now. What's the new Bev's, uh, um, schedule? Oh, yeah. Um, let's yeah. Let's see. Uh, new Bev, uh, schedule for Christmas Day. Uh, yep. It's Die Hard. Oh wait, it's not <gasps> paired with Silent Partner. Oh man, <laughs> did they stop Is there a doing? Double? Yeah, I think they've stopped doing double features. What the hell? Oh no. Um yeah. Oh man. Old. No, it's just like in general. Um like wow, I feel like I'm eating my um my words now. Um yeah, they're just showing Die Hard now alone. <laughs> oh. Like yeah, there's no more um pairings. Oh good wow, old like days. the good old days have are gone. Yeah. Carlo, wow! Oh my God! So it's now ten bucks for just one movie. For oh one my movie. God! Yeah, and I I got a voucher too, and like um oh well they're doing Drem- Gremlins one and two as a double feature, but oh. I I had a ten dollar voucher from them, and I I haven't cashed it in yet. But now oh yeah they raised the the price too. It's now twelve bucks for yeah. a double feature. Wow. That's yeah, the world is changing, man. Oh wow! All right, let's see. Reservoir Dogs though, midnight feature is uh is ten bucks. But uh, wow. Yeah, they're still doing occasional double features. Like it seems like they're doing like some of the lesser known movies. Mm-hmm. But man, oh, so they stopped that tradition. Oh wow. Good thing I looked it up because I would have like um misled our our, our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um but yeah, it seems like they've they've stopped doing double features now. Um it's a rare occasion that they do. Oh, that's too bad. Cuz yeah, I always just thought they were um uh they were selling out all these screenings, so I thought they were making enough money doing it. Um Oh, wow. But I'm just looking ahead at the schedule in January. Um they're uh they're playing another Elliot Gould movie that I've been meaning to watch called Busting. And it's it's oh. it's paired with this movie called Little Darlings that I've also been meaning to see, which has Tatum O'Neill and uh, Christy McNichol in it. So that's a good double feature to um, okay to watch out for. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm I might cash in my voucher for that. I hope they haven't changed. Like you know, they they look at my voucher and they're like, oh, this is only for ten bucks. Like you got to pay the two dollars extra. <laughs> We've raised our prices, that's uh, but up. yeah. But man, the world is changing, man. Like that is just oh wow. Um, yeah, and I, I also should mention, by the way, that um the new Beverly only shows movies on film for those who don't know. Like, so these are actual prints. Like this isn't That's a cool. digital projection. 
that they have. So um, yeah, they're even like giving a glass onion a run. So that's gonna be in third, uh, thirty-five millimeter. Oh, cool. Yeah. So for some people, like most of the screenings are sold out, but uh, I think there's still tickets available for um, for uh, New Year's Eve if people want to pregame it before uh, you know <laughs> doing their uh, midnight countdown. Uh, it's available seven thirty. <laughs> Got a pregame. Come yeah. on. Come <laughs> yeah. on, people. Yeah, that's a good way to, to start at the end of the year, good. you know? I, I can All right. No better so, way, Carlo. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess this is, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're way below our average uh, for this episode, but we packed a lot of, in, I think, two and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely a good uh, end of the year wrap up. Um, mm. I did, I did, I did just want, want to kind of quickly ask. Yeah. So, you know, you, you know, you obviously keep a list and you do a great job of tracking all the movies you watch each year. Do you want to give us a little preview of like, you know, like without going in depth, but just do you have a couple movies that are like creeping up to your top three or top five of, of the year so far that you can kind of just like, yeah. or, you know, some, some, something that, that you can just kind of mention super quick. Okay, well, um, I'll just say, like, you know, I've been dropping some nuggets. Mm. <laughs> like, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, people who have listened to every episode of this uh, show, shout out to Jacob uh, Rivera. Um, he knows what my favorite movies of the year are because, you know, I pretty mm. much mentioned it as I mentioned the films, especially if, like, um, I brought a, brought it up along the lines of Carlos Canon, like, you know, those, those movies yeah. that are on the borderline of that. Um, so yeah, I don't think it would come as a surprise for most people that, you know, Carter, uh, Triple R and, um, uh, what's another movie that I can say that's kind of up there. Um, oh, I haven't even brought this up because we haven't done an episode on it. Um, but it's another Netflix movie. I'll just hint at that. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Um, because I, I, I really feel like the second half of, of 2022, like Netflix has been like producing some really interesting films. And I mean, Carter cool. is one of them for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's mainly their movies that are, um, non-English language. Like people have been giving them crap for the English language movies that they've been doing. But the the yeah the the films that are from outside of America I think are mm-hmm. are really fascinating. So I'll hint at that. Like I'll also say, this movie has some things in common with Carter. Like um, there's a lot of scenes in the movie that I'm not sure if they stitch together to make it seem like one take. But a lot of the scenes feel like they're all long takes. Right. Like cool. I'll say that about that movie. But yeah, I'm gonna save it for the episode that we actually do it on. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, that's what I was going to say. Like there, there's still more because this is our end of the year episode, but we're not really, um, doing our, our favorites just yet. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be our first episode of of next season. I feel like we're, or, um, maybe the second, because, uh, usually that's the thing too. I want to say like, I, I, because like a lot of movies are just dumped in January and February and they tend to be pretty benign months yeah um uh that's when i i use that time to catch up on movies that i haven't seen yet from 2022 Mm -hmm. um uh and but yeah surprisingly there are actually going to be a lot of good movies or fascinating movies or compelling movies to go see early on in the year next year which is wild to me because i think even scream six is coming out in march 
Like it's, Ooh, that's it's amazing because that yeah, the last one just came out like in January. January, yeah, it's a quick turnaround. Uh, but you know, it, it it's sad to say I think um because they they already kind of reported it, so it's not a spoiler that Nev Campbell isn't going to be in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so it it's now been passed on to the next generation, and I think you know yeah. they're they're capable of carrying the torch because you know Jen Ortega, she's having a moment now with Wednesday. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So uh, she's featured prominently in that teaser. So it's like I, you know, I think they're implying that she's she's gonna be the lead now, along with um, Melissa Barrera. I think her name Barrera, is Barrera. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Who played Sam? So um, uh, yeah. But I will just say, yeah. Uh, uh, what I'm looking forward to in the next year, uh, for movies, uh, early on, um just to kind of hint that and yeah maybe we'll do an episode on that is um a knock at the cabin which is coming out in february it's the new m night Shyamalan movie starring Ooh. dave batista um Whoa. yeah and rupert grint is also in it cool. so um yeah i mean the trailer doesn't give away anything which i love you know so um yeah. uh, i can't wait for that you know and uh, i'm glad that we're getting like an early treat um uh, yeah. yeah so there, there's a lot to look forward to and um, it's been a weird 2022 uh, just personally and movie wise for me <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah the the list is is in the works it's it's getting there um, there's just maybe a few gaps like you know um, maybe even some stuff that's gonna get like um, uh like rearranged in terms of position like i i definitely feel some of the movies that i saw early on this year that i enjoyed i may want to rewatch like i really want to i get a handle on on ambulance yeah, yeah. <laughs> like where does ambulance yeah. really belong and then also um i think i'm i'm going to close the book on elvis <laughs> okay and basically say that i'm never going to watch elvis again like that 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 singular movie experience is it that's it. I feel like if I watch it again, it's gonna ruin it. It's gonna drop out of the the rankings. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just it, it was that one viewing. That That's was really funny. it. Yeah, but um, yeah, and hopefully um, we'll get a guest too to um share their favorites. Um, uh, I won't yeah. reveal who it is just in case we don't get them. Cool. Uh, but um, I, that's in the works. Yeah. So yeah, and uh, we might even be doing a. Is this true, Steve? We might even be doing an in person. Live we might episode? be doing a, a live app, yeah. Like, oh, uh, like, um, wow. I'm I'm trying to make it happen. I don't want to get the listeners worked up, but yeah, mm-hmm. that would be that would be awesome. Yeah. I mean, it would be awesome, um, dude. If we actually watch a movie together too. I know, <laughs> you know? right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, know, oh, I, I, I feel like the last movie we saw together was Fast Nine. Yeah, um, that's true, and that was like with yeah. the whole family. <laughs> yeah, that that, that, that yeah. was awesome. Yeah, I do just sure. just just want to quickly say, hold on, and then like, and I'll, I'll make this quick. So I had to do um I had to do a quick work trip. So I was on some planes recently. Okay. And on the plane, I was able to see Top Gun Maverick. Wow. And I just want to okay. say that was a really fun experience watching Maverick on a plane. Um just, you know, it's it instantly was one of my top movie watching experiences of the year. Wow. And um, just you know, just that whole experience, like like you know, like I'm sitting there with my glasses and I'm sipping a coffee, and I'm like, there's someone sleeping on my shoulder, yeah. And I'm, but but it, but in my mind, I'm like, I'm Maverick, you know? Yeah, you're there, man. Oh, yeah. Wow. 
that really is high high praise, Steve. Considering because you know it was a theater experience, you know, for yeah. me. Like I saw it in the biggest screen I could see it on, which was a, yeah. the IMAX in Universal City. So yeah, I man. think yeah, it definitely it, it definitely jumped up to so, like it's somewhere in my top three of the year. Wow. That was a really enjoyable movie. Yeah, in terms I will, of like, I will it, ask you this too, Steve, yeah. just before we go to is that. Do you feel like you're you're able to make a top ten? Because I know you know you you have your your life. Mm-hmm. You're busy. It's hard for you to sometimes go out to the movies to yeah. to see stuff. So do you think you will have a top ten next year? I I mean I could definitely create a top ten for 2022. Like okay. um, fantastic in terms of like the, you know the movies that I saw that mm-hmm. we saw together or at least five. Um, okay. Because yeah, in thinking about it now, a lot of the movies that I did see. We're re- we're rewatches, so yeah, I could I could give give you a top five. Okay, that'd be fun. All right, yeah, yeah. and also I feel like um, uh, you know, if, if we do wait till March to do it, because you know that's also around the yeah. time you know Oscars are are yeah. done. So you know that's really when give people it time, are baby. Yeah, that's really when you know the year officially ends and the next year begins uh, yeah. for movies. So um. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you my list in advance, and you know, you, maybe there's some titles that some might overlap. pique your interest, and you check it out, and maybe that might end up on your list. So, I yeah, like it. yeah, or yeah. you can just respond to to when I pick it, and you'll be like, "Nah, that's enough for me." Uh. <laughs> 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 so yeah, it should be fun. Well, well good, man. Yeah, I, right. you know, once again, just this has been really fun. We're gonna keep it going. Hell Thank yeah. you for for doing this project with me. Um, it's really fun talking with you and it's been a great, it's been a great season, man. Absolutely, man. Likewise, like, you know, I've, I've had so much fun doing this. Uh, I mean, you know, that I've dabbled in movie podcasts before, like being mm-hmm. a guest and even trying my hand on doing it on my own. It was really hard to sustain, but you know, we were able to do it with our pod this year and yeah, I, I'm looking forward to doing it again next year. Great. I'm in. Alright, so shall we call it? Yep, that's it. Season one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Movie food. Bye-bye. <laughs>